We're back talking all the news in independent league baseball this week, and we got everything from rules to new hirings to new teams. You don't want to miss this episode of the Indie Ball Report Podcast. All right, we are back again. Episode number 110 of the Indie Ball Report Podcast. I'm Nick. He's Will, and we're back talking actual news for the first time in a long time. I hope you all enjoyed the clip show last week. It was fun to produce. There were some good ones in there, especially my feelings about the the State University of New Jersey. But we don't have time to rehash that because we have two weeks worth of news to discuss this week. So much news to talk about this week, Nick. You know, it it, it was... It's been kind of slow in the past few weeks, I think you could say. But, yep. I mean, over the past, at least we're, we're recording this here on, on a Thursday night, there is a lot to get to. There was a big bombshell dropped just a night ago, which is likely where we will start. Yep. And um, and there there's a lot to get to. It is a jam-packed show. If uh, Hopefully you carved out uh, like a good two hours uh, to listen to this because that's probably what we're looking at and maybe once we get into our thing to add it might go a lot more because uh, nick and i already know what this is going to be on but no spoilers we'll, we'll get it we'll get into that a little bit later but so much indie ball news to talk about uh if you if you want to listen to this episode in pieces i understand but there's gonna be a lot so get ready yep absolutely you're gonna want to Get comfy, maybe get a drink and a snack, something like that. Or if you got a long drive, this is definitely the episode to listen to. And like Will said, you may want to fillet this episode into a couple different sections because it's going to, uh, it's definitely going to be a long one. Like Will alluded to, we are going to get started with the the big news of this week, which is the Atlantic League announcing uh, their new experimental rules with their partnership with uh, Major League Baseball this week. Uh, there's one which I think we both agree on is very interesting, and then there's one that I think we both agree on which is uh, less than hot on it would be the best way of putting it. I do want to I do want to preface this section by saying, as far as the rules that were used in 2019, there is still some confusion, at least among us, as to whether or not they're still going to be active in the 2021 season. The press release didn't really say one way or the other, and you would assume. Either, okay, the rules were already put into stone in 2019, so they will continue, or you'd assume, okay, well, they didn't outline that these rules will be continuing, and they were experimental, so they won't be continuing. So there's still confusion on that front. If we get clarity on that before the episode goes out, I'll put in a little... uh, a little, I guess, addendum somewhere in this section saying, oh, no, now we know that it's one way or the other. If we don't get clarity on it, then we'll clear it up as soon as we know. But as far as the 2019 set of experimental rules, that's still up in the air as of right now. So we're just going to focus on the the ones that were in the press release. Yep. And uh, let's just say the, I believe, you know, we're just talking about three different, only three rules. I'm like, uh, Right, almost unlike the 2019 season that had eight, I believe. I think yep. it's eight. Yeah, and, uh And so, at least to our knowledge, at this point, there are three that mm-hmm. we know for sure, and uh, they are a doozy. Yeah, as as some would say. What would you say is the least controversial? The ABS one. 
Uh, I would say, yeah. I would say that ABS is probably the, well, I don't know, because people have really strong feelings on it. But, and I guess this is a good place to start with yep. the ABS. If you're like upset that they put the automatic balls and strikes back into the Atlantic League, I mean, at this point, you're just kind of kidding yourself. Whether you like it or you don't, that's where it's that's where the league is going. That's where baseball is going. It's going to happen. It's going to happen in Major League Baseball sooner rather than later as well. So they need. The, I I totally understand. They need places to keep refining the system. Based on the improvements that I heard that they are making to the strike zone, I am much more hopeful in it this year. So I think that. I think that's the least controversial one and one we we all knew was coming. Uh, and I dare I say I'm interested to see uh, I'm interested to see the improvements that the zone makes this year because they they did make some adjustments that they did explicitly state in their in their press release. Yeah, you know more than me on this, but a lot of pitchers were not happy and a lot of batters were not very happy with the automated balls and strikes because the way it worked, it was based off of I believe the the batter's height. And then it calculated the strike zone based off of that and really wasn't a traditional strike zone. So things that would be a traditional strike, but technically a ball weren't being called that way. And that upset a lot of guys. So now they've shortened it, but widened it, it being the strike zone. So I am also interested to see how that works. I hope it kind of fixes the the problem a bit. Because I think this is one area where you can sacrifice a bit of accuracy to make it more, I guess, easy to transition to. Because sure. you you don't want to have things that both the pitcher and the batter are used to being called one way and the other called a different way. You know, you want to have it be as smooth of a transition as possible here. Obviously, the whole point of automated balls and strikes, which as you could guess, is now added back, which makes me wonder if they're saying they're refining this and still using it in, wouldn't they use that for all the, the other rules from 2019? Like that would let me to agree with you in that there of those 2019 ones aren't going to be added back yes. in you know so that would be my guess yeah like i'm starting to lean on your side there because they explicitly mentioned abs but again who who really knows on that from uh regardless i am interested to see if this does help correct those kind of flare-up issues that were previously in existence uh either way i just like you said it's not really that controversial in my mind anymore whether you like it or don't like it it was kind of happened this way either way i don't think either one of us would be that surprised if spring training 2022 was using the abs at all 100 and quite frankly as soon as 2023 i could very well see the abs getting put in to actual meaningful uh, major league baseball games so it just makes sense it's going to continue here and i imagine it's going to start to make its way through every sort of professional league uh, in the near future and on that kind of same feel whether you hate the DH or love the DH this new rule is kind of splitting the middle on it and uh, it's certainly interesting the double hook DH I'll, uh, I'll let Will explain it yeah so real quickly about I just wanted to make sure I got this point in about, about the strike zone yep. the one difference is it's no longer a 3D zone it's okay. a 2D zone which essentially means instead of if you've ever watched Sunday night baseball and it's like, Oh, it missed by a foot outside, but it clipped to the front corner of the plate uh, as it, as it went by very simply you, it's like, this is equivalent to like just the box zone that you would see like on a TV. It either hits the zone or it does not hit the zone. 
So I'm hoping in that sense, you're going to get a lot less egregious calls. And that's the thing that makes me a little bit more hopeful. Well, and, and I think Nick, you put it perfectly mm-hmm. when you said, I'm willing to sacrifice a little bit of accuracy and in the, in the uh, technical sense to make sure that balls that are traditionally that everyone agrees are balls are balls and uh, strikes that um, everyone ag- agrees are strikes are strikes 100% of the time. And I think that's, that is the important part here with the automated the automated strike zone. Whether you want to get technical about what a strike or what a ball is, I don't think that's the that's not the spirit of the rule. I don't think that's at the end of the day, it's about consistency. And I think that uh, the two switching the zone to a two D zone is going to help that a lot. Even though I guess it's I guess less techy than than it was a year ago, but I think it in as far as the zone like uh accuracy in at least to the fans watching yeah. or the players playing i think that'll help a lot more um yeah. now for the double hook dh rule a rule that i find fascinating right mm-hmm. i'm not sure 100 sure if i like it or dislike it yet but this is one of the rules that you're like hey i'd like to see this in action right yeah uh and so basically this to start the game you have the, with a, tr- a lineup with a traditional dh uh, that that doesn't change. However, when your starting pitcher gets removed from the game, to my knowledge, for whatever reason, when your starting pitcher gets taken out of the game, you lose the DH for the game. Now, what does that mean? That means in the DH spot, you are now technically putting. Uh, you are now, or well, I guess not technically in the DH spot because. That would depend if you want to put your DH then in the field at for in first base or in the outfield or whatever and do a kind of a double switch. But you will now have a pitcher spot, which is technically a reliever that would be hitting. You're not, of course, those who watch NL baseball, relievers don't actually hit for the most part. Mm, yeah. Uh, they'll like, you'll see, so they'll you'll get pinch see hit. more NL baseball, you'll see pinch hitters uh, and you'll see a lot more traditional NL baseball in, I guess, the back third of the game. And the rules, this rule is supposed to do two things, right? Like you mentioned earlier, Nick, mm-hmm. it's supposed to represent as a compromise between the uh, bitter, the bitter rivalry that is the very pro DH people and the very anti DH people, like me and you. How about that example? I know, right? Uh, it just works perfectly. Yeah, and so it's supposed to represent a compromise for one, but two. And I think most importantly, it incentivizes teams to leave their starters in the game longer. Uh, Of course, every year, if you look at the numbers, teams are leaving their starting pitchers in less and less and less, and relievers are throwing more and more and more. And this is something I've been arguing for a long time, although I I wouldn't consider myself like a a bona fide traditionalist in in that sense of the word. However, I do like seeing starting pitchers go consistently – six, seven, maybe eight innings. I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of five innings and you're yanking them. It, I don't think it's, I don't think it's that, that entertaining. And that is something I'd really like to see if you're, because starting pitchers are much, much more important. That's the one change. That's the, that's the big adjustment. I think that teams will make just so they can keep their, get their DH another at bat and keep them out of the field. I think for one and for two, the, the, your, your entire Atlantic league roster as far as position players, it's very, very important now. Every single mm-hmm. player counts. If you want to have a guy who 
I'm not going to name any names, but I think you know, people will know who I'm talking about. If you want to have a guy on the bench who maybe is not very good, but he's like there for like community outreach and he's a nice guy and he's a fan favorite, that's fine, but he's probably going to have to hit. Uh, I think you're going to see a lot different strategy in the sense of roster building, and it also mean, and it definitely means that you're going to get more guys at bats, and your and it makes your entire bench and all your position players significantly more important, a lot more important than it has been in recent years. Yeah, absolutely. I love the strategy that can come out of this, and like you said, it's going to force managers to actually make more difficult decisions it's actually going to gauge like the whole team and your roster construction and the depth you have i mean if we want to be real about it on just about any level of independent league baseball when you start to get down towards the end of that bench you really start to see a bit of a drop off it doesn't really matter you know atlantic league frontier league pioneer league now or or pecos league even there's certain guys that just you don't really count on playing a lot of games for you. And now all of a sudden you gotta those guys are gonna get a lot of bats, which is good for them, or at least they're gonna get more opportunities to play, which again is good for them, because they're obviously about ninety-five percent of the guys in independent league baseball are playing so that way they can try and get into affiliated ball and then either get to or get back to uh the major leagues. So I'm happy for the players in that sense, because now they're gonna get more opportunities there. I'm also happy because, you know, I'm also on the, the camp of screw the DH, ban it. It's not a real position. And uh, I will say this much. I do hammer that up a little bit, you know, and I can obviously see where the trend's going. I think anyone with eyes can kind of see that, you know, pitchers hitting is not long for this world as much as it may displease uh, people like me. So I understand I'm not really having a position of strength to negotiate from. As far as, well, I just want pitchers hitting. This is about as close to a compromise or as close to getting what I want as I'm going to get. And so I'm happy that I'm at least getting this much. And like you said, it adds an awful lot of strategy to the game in that, let's say your your starter's getting rocked today. And, you know, it's now a lot closer of a game than you want it to be. Let's say it's five to four. It's the bottom of the six. There's one out and you have a runner on first and third. Now you have a decision to make here. Having the DH in our lineup will give us a better chance at getting more runs across and getting this game back to even or taking a lead. But my guy hasn't been very strong to get today. And if they have a strong batter coming up, it's like, well, if we can get a ground ball, we can get out of this inning and just be down one. If he throws a bad pitch, we could be down by four. And in the bottom of the six to be down by four... I'm not saying the game's over, but now it's just become a very tall task to come back from. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. now you have all these decisions to make, especially like in the beginning of the year, it's not as much because you go, okay, well, I trust my bullpen a lot more. They're still fresher. And I mean, the guys on the bench, I, I, I want to see what they have. What's the worst that can happen? It's an early season game, which becomes a lot more of a hard decision to make when we get into August or we get into September and now it's okay. Well, everybody has either a full season on them or they're a midseason ad when we lost people to foreign leagues or affiliated leagues. So now you have more of an unknown quantity or you have your known quantities that you have to decide how much more do I want to push these guys? And it just makes the game a lot more interesting and it does add the strategy to it. I may be like inflating the decision and the weight behind them a bit, but it certainly does give those decisions more weight. And I think that's 
just part of the the real benefit to it. And like I said, it obviously gives uh, more guys more opportunities, I'd say, because before we'd have guys that were on the bench that would never get a chance. Now maybe they got moved up a couple of pegs here. And and the thing, the other thing I also think it does is I also think it helps guys get picked up yeah. by, by MLB organizations, and I'll explain why. I, I think the reason – because I think you see a lot of guys who put up great numbers in, it doesn't, I mean, I'll use the Atlantic league as the example, but certainly it also applies in the American association and the frontier league as well. And they're putting up insane offensive numbers. And you're wondering, Talvin Nash is a good example. And you're wondering how the hell has this guy not gotten picked up? I mean, hmm. he's, 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 uh, I mean, he's got no PS over a thousand. He's yeah. got 30 homers. Uh, he, he's hitting 320, right? How, yeah. how has he not gotten picked up? A big reason is, is because you have these guys, and I'll use Nash as an example, who are essentially right-handed swinger, first-base DH guys. Yeah. And I hate to say it, but teams already, I, I guarantee you, every single team, for the most part, has a first-base prospect in the system that can hit. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just a reality. And so that's why you see pitchers that are getting picked up the pitchers are always going to get picked up more than position players in general yeah. but i mean you look at middle infielders that are going to that always get picked up you look at outfielders that get picked up mm. i think it also helps these guys because it forces them to play it po- forces them to play defense more and i think that does help them when you're when teams are looking at all right maybe he's not an average defender per se but is he passable is he is put it because I'm not going to bring him in and just have him DH every day. That's not going to get it unless you're like Erwin Mercedes and you're just hitting absolute nukes every day. Then, yeah. uh, then I can, is your glove passable? If your glove is passable, then maybe I'm willing to go pick up a Telfin Nash. If Ke- like, I, I think a guy who I'm, I'm thinking of for this, Keon Barnum, oh, if yeah. Keon Barnum, Keon Barnum's going to be in the field a lot more than this year than maybe he was with Chicago, uh, in, in 2019. Uh, I think it helps out uh, guys like that, and it's going to help them showcase and show that they are capable of playing the field. And I think they have to if their goal is to get back into affiliated ball. And I think, which of course, the vast, vast majority of the Atlantic League that is their goal. Yep, absolutely. And not to mention guys that are in their system, but there's also a slew of veteran players here that are proven commodities at this point that do the same thing and are essentially DHs at this point in their career. I mean, just think of all the big heavy sluggers that you go, oh, I would never have them actually play the field, but I love their bat so much. There's dozens of veteran free agents that can do that too. And so that's definitely going to help out, uh, like you said, the the guys that are otherwise DHs in the Atlantic League, they're now going to be told to play the, the field more. Regardless, we go on to the, the final rule, I think, because I think we said enough about uh, the DH rule and that we're both... Uh, maybe not fans of it, but at this point, at least very curious to see how it's going to be used and how it's going to, to work. So this final rule is only for the second half. The previous rules were for the full season. That's something that's also important to note. Uh, the first two rules we discussed, their full season rules are going to be used from opening day to the last pitch of the championship series. This rule is only going to be used in the second half, and I assume the, of the postseason as well, if it's second half and on. Um it's also the rule that I imagine draws the most flack. It's gotten the most media coverage, national media coverage too. That is moving the mound back a full foot, a full 12 inches. It's now going to be 61 and a half feet away from uh, 
from home plate now. That's the, the pitching rubber. And the goal is to essentially increase offense. And I will say before we say anything on this rule, I find it hilarious that they cited an 1893 precedent for oh, doing something dude, like this. I, I even had to put that in my like caption yeah. because it was so ridiculous. I'm like, are you, do you think I'm that stupid? At least just straight up tell me what is happening. If you're going to try to sugarcoat it by saying, there's precedent. They moved the mound back in 1893. Like, I'm sorry. Do you, you clearly think I'm an idiot or something? Yeah. And, and you... Like absolutely, absolutely not. Like there is precedent for moving the mound or lowering the mound. Yeah. They did that back in the in the I believe in the late sixties, early seventies. Yeah. But there is not precedent for moving it from sixty feet six inches. No way. Yeah, like the precedent is. Look, we the last time we moved it, it was like James Garfield in office. So I mean, it's been done before. It's like yeah, but over a hundred and twenty years, it hasn't been done. So I mean, practically speaking. It hasn't been done. Uh, like I think I can speak for both of us here, where it's I'm not really sure what exactly they're hoping to to find out from doing this, and how much of an effect it's going to be. I think you broke it down to where like the average mile per hour that's going to be lost from this is like 1.7 miles per hour. Mm. So I mean, like it it could make a difference. I think more so on breaking pitches than anything else, but. Uh, I, I just see this scaring off a lot of players. Not that that's terribly much of an issue. I mean, you can always find players. That's never really the problem. But still, it just is such a weird thing here. I will say it is better from the last time around they were going to do this and scrapped it, which was, you know, when they were going to make it 62 and a half, and now it's only 61 and a half. That's better than what they were going to do, but it's still not good. I mean, it's like saying I'd rather be stabbed than shot. Well, yeah, but I'd rather neither. So it's I don't really expect to see much of a much of a radical change here either way. It just seems like a really stupid change to make. Like I'm not I don't want to say I'm I'm against it, but at the same time I'm certainly not for this and I just think it's an unnecessary change. I think if you really wanted to make some sort of like a meaningful change instead of moving the mound back, just lower it. There's more precedent like you said for it. If you knock it down another five inches, you're going to get your desired result. So, like, why not just do that? Yeah, and you don't have the potential for injuries. Now, I should I, I should uh, preface that by saying in the Atlantic press release, they did cite a study in which they said uh, they, they I, I believe, with, like, 30-something, like, guys that are right out of college, they did this experiment with. Uh, it didn't really affect... Uh, at least how they pitched and it didn't affect injuries. Take that for what you will. I'd argue that's a pretty small sample. And I, that, and I think that's a lot different because these guys in the Atlantic league have a lot more innings under their belt. Yeah. So I would argue that that study, while it means something, I don't think it's all that telling. I mean, to be honest with you, you just got to take their word for it at the moment that it's not going to increase injuries. I really hope it doesn't, mm. or that's going to be really bad. Yeah. Uh, however, I mean, just my general take on it is I don't believe 60 feet, six inches should ever be tampered with. I would, I would be okay with talking about it if it got to a point in, at least in, in Major League Baseball, where the hitters just had no chance. Yeah, but that's the data. But there's no evidence to support that. I mean, runs scored per game has remained fairly constant 
over the last over the last 10 years or so mm-hmm. right of course batting average is down and they used and they used in the press release oh but batting average is going down yeah but batting average doesn't always necessarily correlate to runs of course you're going to have strikeout percentage up you and home runs are up and i think that is because the pitchers are so good now where you're not going to string three or four or five hits together in an inning and um and use that to score to put up a crooked number as opposed to hitting home runs. I think that's more the reason. However, it's not like it's not like every pitcher in the MLB is is like Garrett Cole or Jacob Degrom. Yeah, that oh they're throwing they're top they're they're throwing ninety nine to a hundred with like a filthy breaking pitch and hitters have no chance. Well, yeah, but that's two pitchers in, in the entire in the entire major yeah. leagues. You're acting like there's never been a dominant pitcher in the history of baseball. People thought they were unhittable. Like I'm like you you think people didn't think oh like how do you even hit Randy Johnson? How how, how do you how do you even hit a guy like Bob Gibson? Like how do you hit these how do you hit these guys? Like I, it's I, I don't understand this idea where oh these these pitchers that do this thing exceptionally well are making it too unfair. We now have to put them at a disadvantage. I don't think that the majority of the MLB is like that. I don't think runs are down. The runs are not down across the board. I just don't think there's a reason to do this. And at least at the Atlantic league level, I worry about even in the slightest sense where offense goes up. I worry about that because again, these teams that are looking at Atlantic league talent to potentially add to um, to potentially add to their minor league rosters or in the sense of guys that are maybe a bit older, they're trying to get to Mexico. They're trying to get to Taiwan. They're trying to even get to um, the Dominican winter league to try and to try and make a lot more money than they do make in the, in the Atlantic league. That's more their goal as opposed to getting back into a major league organization. And you got to realize those teams are not going to sit there and do the extra. Well, because they moved the mound back, approximately uh, that uh, like they're not going to look at it like how we look at like PCL numbers. That like oh, but they they have like a four ERA, but in the PCL that's good. They're not going to look at that in like the Atlantic League where someone's numbers might be a little worse. They're just not going to do that, and they're they're not going to give these guys the chances. And that's what I worry about if this has a significant impact on offenses. At the end of the day, the rules are the rules, and I'm interested to see how pitchers adjust. I think you're going to see more breaking balls. Uh, I, I think you're going to see a heavy diet of breaking balls, at least from the, from the pitchers I've spoken to uh, over the past 24 hours or so. Uh, I think I think you'll you'll see different adjustments like that. I think you'll see more. I think you'll see a lot more stolen bases. And God, I hope that pickoff rule is not coming back because then you just have no chance, like at all. Oh God, you against, know, it puts the it against puts anybody. Like, good lord, if that comes back and oh, you're God. also moving the mound back, I don't even want to think of that possibility. That's just that's my general take on it. I just I'm worried about it for the Atlantic League players, and I don't think it solves the problem the MLB is looking is looking to solve because you're acting like because okay, fine, Jacob Degrom's fastball is now instead of topping out at 100, it now tops out at 98.3. Uh, and he is now a lot more hittable. No, he is not. I, I don't see I don't see the evidence that this is the solution. Launch angle and people trying to swing for the fences and trying to hit home runs is not going to change because the velocity goes down. It, it's, yeah. it, they're not going. It, 
it's not going to go in the reverse. That's what the MLB is trying to do. They're trying to say, oh, well, now strikeouts will go back down and home runs will, and home runs will also go back down. No, the, the, these, these innovations don't go backwards. Right. Yeah, the genie's so, out of the bottle at this point. You know, now it now it's there. The fact that you have advanced numbers and there's just a more efficient way of playing the game, until you incentivize them to not be efficient, it doesn't really matter what rules you change. They're gonna play the way that's going to produce wins or produce the best stats for them. That's the most appealing to the major league front office. So that way the coaches can continue to have jobs and the players can continue to have jobs and they both can get paid as much as possible. Until you create a system which incentivizes you to put balls into play as opposed to put them over the fence, it doesn't really matter what you do. People are still going to swing for the fence. They're going to try to do that. And they're going to adapt to whatever rules you put in to continue to do that, to play the most effective and efficient way possible. Exactly. Like It's not like because the fastballs, fastballs or whatever pitch is now 1.7 miles per hour slower in, as far as reaction time, mm-hmm. now, now teams are going to be not looking just all of a sudden, oh, I'm just not going to try to hit home runs anymore. I'm just, we're just going to snap this back to 2010. Like, that's just not, that's not how any innovations work. And unfortunately, that, that's not, that's not going to change here. And so, listen, I, I just, my, my final point here is I, I don't think it's solving the problem that the MLB is looking to solve. The MLBPA is never going to agree to this. It doesn't matter what data you have coming coming from this league. That pitchers will go to war on this. I understand in the Atlantic League you can do whatever you want because they don't have any power, and it sucks. And and I, it completely sucks. But it's the reality. They can complain all they want, but they're gonna at the end of the day they got to play by the rules that are given to them. I mean, considering the fact they're not even told ahead of time. I mean, they, they don't have any power. The MLBPA has power, and they are never going to agree to this. So I just think this is all a waste of time. But, you know, you know, you know what I will say, Nick? The yeah. first half is going to be a lot of fun. Oh, first half is going to be a lot of fun. I have a couple of points out of that. One, it is a hill to die on, and you just gave me the episode title, A Mound to Die On. So I appreciate hey, there that. there we go. I know. That's a good pun. I, I'm proud of that one. <laughs> then the the next point is you're right i mean you could try to do whatever you want to stop like a degrom or a cole or a scherzer but at the end of the day a guy like jacob degrom is a generational talent the man is just not really able to be stopped when he throws a breaking pitch at 99 100 miles an hour which is something that we've seen him do and he does several times a game it's it's not fair you're not going to hit a slider at 100 miles an hour there's just no way you're going to get good contact on that it, by the time it starts, like, you start to be able to track to go, okay, it's going to break. It's already hitting the catcher's glove. So it's like, well, I'm, I'm done. It, there's no way to stop guys like that. And you've had different players from each era be just as dominant or similarly as dominant as DeGrom is now, as Scherzer is now. You could pick any decade you want and you could find two or three guys that were just as unhittable regardless of what rules existed. And exactly. using a metric like batting average to to say, oh, well, offense is one way or the other or to prove a point isn't exactly the case because there's different metrics that matter more now. I mean, you want to go back to 2010, advanced numbers were more like starting to really get into the, okay, we actually have to follow these now. These are actually really important. And every team started, you know, desperately trying to grab the best that they could in the advanced numbers department. But at the end of the day, most people in the front office were still like, well, he bats 250. 
So he's no good, regardless of whatever his like on base or on base plus slugging would be. So now you're measuring players by a different standard too. So you're using an outdated measuring standard to measure current day numbers. It, it doesn't really make sense whatsoever uh, in that regard. And yeah, I well, think it just proves their point. It, yeah. it, they're just using it because it helps their point. But like, I know, yeah, I know. That exactly actually, know baseball it. knows that doesn't really that doesn't translate to the fact that offense is down. It doesn't prove that point. Exactly. Like more, more. What I was about to say was. So when I see them use batting average, I don't see it as like, oh, well, offense is down. I The way I think they're trying to at least get you to see it is go, well, look, excitement's down. Because batting average isn't a measurement of offense. It's a measurement of things happening, which is a measurement of excitement. So a guy that bats, let's say, 260 isn't as exciting as a guy that bats 275. Because the guy that's batting 275 is putting more things in play and making more things happen. And whether or not that that's the case. I think that's more of an individual, whether you agree with it or not, type of point, as opposed to a uniform rule. I is a way of measuring it. I don't necessarily agree with that point. I think there's plenty of ways. Because, I mean, a dude like Brandon Nimmo could draw a walk and get on first, and he's more likely to steal a base than a guy that, say, bets like 285 and is never going to steal a base. So, I mean, I'm not sure if I'd call, like, just putting a ball in play more exciting than having a guy that's really quick on first base. I mean, there's just a lot going on there that I don't think really adds up. I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of logical holes in the argument that, oh, well, doing this will create more offense. Yeah, yeah, sure, from a couple of measurements, but there's just as many measurements saying that it won't. And moreover, the part that I think is really bad for the pitchers and the numbers is you have this Trackman data from last year, and the Trackman systems are obviously still there because they're still using the ABS. And that was kind of marketed for players as, look, it's going to be a good thing because we're going to have advanced numbers. And then those advanced numbers that teams use now to gauge their players and say, okay, these guys could be a possible steal. They could be a nice solid arm for us to throw it in double A AA or triple A and see what happens with them. Those numbers are going to get all messed up now, not only because of the mound, but also because of the ABS, which as we said earlier, will hopefully be better now because partially the 3D strike zone is gone. So it's not really a depth thing anymore. It's more of just a uniform. Did it hit what would be considered a strike or not? And that's going to be something that's going to affect it. Hopefully not as much like I was saying, but, but it's still going to be a factor in all of this. So you have that to contend with, and now the mound on top of that. So you have a couple of compounding factors here that are all going to go working against the pitcher. And like we said, we're not entirely sure that the rules that were tested the last Atlantic League season are entirely gone. So if a rule like that pickoff rule is still in effect here, or if like the shift rule, which I'm pretty sure we've been told is dead, I'm like 90% positive on that, that the shift rule is dead. But if you have things like that that are, you know, kind of like zombie rules, they're still continuing, then you have even more working against the pitcher and more things going in here. Maybe not even just a practical sense, but as a mental thing to keep in the pitcher's mind here, like, okay, if I if I give up a base hit, the dude that's on first, I have like no way of actually picking him off or holding him. So I just have to really hope my catcher here can get a throw down the second really quick, which is even less likely because this ball has to go an extra foot now. And in that extra foot, a dude that's, you know, 
kind of quick of foot, it's going to be even closer to taking second. And he may, instead of having to slide, it's going to be standing up as he trots in the second. So you have all these things, both practical and mental, that go into affecting the way a pitcher is going to go now. That, that trackman data is going to be heavily skewed in that second half. That, you know, now it's going to become even more difficult for a pitcher to get picked up. Now, of course, we said earlier that pitchers are more likely to get picked up, and that's true. I mean, there's kind of the old saying, you can never have too much pitching. So, of course, people are going to be more likely to take a shot at them. But now that the fact that you have the two other kind of major independent leagues in the Frontier League that's going to cater to more younger players, and the American Association that's going to have, roughly speaking, the same kind of player that the Atlantic League has, who's to say a major league club's not going to go, well... We have two 25-year-old pitchers here. They're playing against, roughly speaking, the same level of competition. One's been playing with all these kind of wonky rules. The other one hasn't. So, yeah, sure, we got to factor in, like, rules and whatnot, but we don't want to deal with the adjustment period and all that garbage. We'll just grab the dude from the American Association and we'll see what he does because what's really the difference here? And I think that is kind of my main concern here is you just have so many compounding factors hitting at the same exact time when not all the independent leagues are on the same field as this, it's going to put Atlantic League pitchers at a disadvantage. And at the very least, it's going to mess up their advanced numbers so that one of the selling points of, look, the trackman's actually a good thing, is now going to be working against them. So I just that rubs me the wrong way, and it is a concern of mine. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that's, I, I mean, you mentioned these these teams are not, they're not, especially with indie ball guys, their patience is short, right? Yeah. Because um, they're going to have patience with the guys that they drafted high, that they gave that they gave a big signing bonus they're guys. to. That's, that's, let's let's go exactly. with it. That's they're just, guys. They have their guys, and they're going to be a lot more willing to do that because partially, A, they know them, and also partially, the people making those decisions, their reputation's way more on the line with the guys they drafted than the guys they signed. Because you sign a, a 24-year-old, 25-year-old, it's kind of a grab back as to what you're getting anyway. You drafted the guys like, well, we scouted this kid since he was like 18 throwing in high school. Uh, if I don't, if I'm not right on this guy, now that's seven years of development that's gone. And that does not look good on me. Yeah, no, for, for, for sure. And I, the, when these guys get picked up too, they're, they're picked up and thought of as depth. That's not to say you can't work your way up. Like, wow, this guy's, I mean, look at Ross Detweiler now. I mean, Ross Detweiler yep. is like a, a guy getting high leverage innings with the Miami Marlins at this point. Yep. And the guy uh, from and, the twins too, Randy, uh, Dobrinak. Oh, Dobnak, Dobnak. Yeah. Dobnock. Him. Yeah. Yeah. And a guy from, a guy from the, who came up in the USPBL, yep. even, Hey, you're, you Mercedes, uh, who got to start in the Pecos league. Yeah. But I, I think, I think you're right. I think you're right on, on, on all of that, man. I think, I really hope that there is. Trust me, it's not like I'm rooting for. Oh, I, I, I hope. I hope we're not hoping these everything fail. Everything goes wrong here. I, I'm really hoping all these go wrong and they show the MLB. Like, no, I, I want to see these have no effect on the game. That's that's my goal. Uh, but I just, if it, if it has no effect, awesome. I just don't think there's any positive effect it could possibly have on the game. I don't think you're going to draw more people to baseball if there's more balls in play. 
Yeah, like I, I don't think there's any correlation there. Exactly, we're not rooting for these things to fail. It, hopefully, it's like multiplying a number by one. It does absolutely nothing. So, like that's the ideal outcome here, and that, or actually, the ideal outcome is that they actually do improve something, and that we're wrong about some of this. But at the end of the day, it's like, well, it just doesn't seem to make much sense here, and the point they're trying to make doesn't even seem to be one that's really worth making. So it's mm-hmm. it's kind of a head scratcher there. So uh, I guess yeah. we've kind of set our, our piece on the rules here and whatnot, and we could kind of go on to some of the other topics we have here uh, because we do have a, a lot of other things to get on here. But before we move on, do you have anything uh, you want to add about any of the other rules? Or well, I I, I just want to emphasize. I think I I, I think the, I think the automatic balls and strike system. I think that'll be better this year. I think people will be pleasantly surprised on both sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's my hot take. I, I think it's going to. I think the the automated zone will be a resounding success this year. Yeah, no, that's that my hot take. honestly, I think that hot takes like last night's leftovers. I, I don't think it's that hot at all. Uh, I gotta say, I think that's kind of likely. They've obviously improved it. They've refined it, and it's one of the rules that isn't just Major League Baseball saying, "Yeah, why not? Might as well try it." And what's the harm in it? It's one where they're like, "No, we want this to work, and we want to iron it out." So they actually care about it. So that means resources were almost certainly meaningfully dumped into this rule. So I think you're entirely right here. I agree. I think that the ABS is going to be a lot better. It's going to be a lot more refined. I'd be willing to say I think the DH rule is going to work out really well. It won't be enough to make me come around to liking the idea of a DH because I'm just never going to. But it will, you know, make me go, okay, it it is what it is and be kind of like neutral on it. But I do think it is going to be a lot more interesting. And I think, again, it's going to have a general positive impact across the roster. And then this mound thing, uh, well, it is an interesting hill to die on for Major League Baseball. I will say that. Yeah. Uh, Nick, one more question. One, yeah. one more question before we move on. Yeah. If, let's say, let's say that this double hook DH rule is a resounding success in the Atlantic League this year, and they put it in the National League starting next year, they keep the Atlantic League the same the same National League, the double hook DH is in next year. Do you stop watching Mets baseball? Yes or no? No comment. All right. So with that with that said, and on that cliff hanging note, we will go to uh, the, I guess, second biggest news of the week, which would be a headliner in and of itself. But we have news about new teams into the Atlantic League. Yes, I said teams as in the plural. We'll start with the one that's far more concrete and set in stone and then move to the one which we all kind of know is happening, but isn't, you know, official yet. Uh, on Monday, a bill was approved by uh, the government of Maryland to allow the Maryland Stadium Authority to manage the construction of a new stadium in Hagerstown. I said it correctly that time. Maryland. There you go. They can issue up to $59.5 million in bonds to fund the project. There was a grand total of five votes between the Maryland uh, House of Representatives and the Maryland State Senate uh, dissenting against the measure. So it seemingly had bipartisan support, widely supported, out of over about 140 or so plus votes. Only five people said, no, I don't like this. And uh, yeah, this this prevents any of the costs from really falling on the city of Haggardstown itself. 
and the team is projected to begin play in 2023. I believe the governor has signed the bill. I don't know that for certain, but if he hasn't yet, that's really just a matter of time. And it's not even like a veto will hold up. It, there's more than enough votes to override that. So it's going to sure. happen now. It's really just a matter of designing, of building, and uh, then getting everything in order here. But just the whole thing seems to be uh, lined up here. So Hagerstown is going to be welcoming a new team into the Atlantic League very soon. Yeah, and and I know uh, Governor Larry Hogan is a minor league baseball fan because during the summer he came up to a game of the Somerset Professional Baseball Series. Really? So, uh, he did. He did. That's that, interesting. That is true. Yeah, yeah cool. I didn't even know he was there. And then they, they, they said, we'd like to welcome the Somerset Patriots. would like to welcome the, the, Mar- the governor of Maryland, uh, Larry Hogan. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so – you know, I, I can't, there, there won't be, he won't veto it. It's, it's yeah. done. And listen, I mean, now you're starting to see this plan, this, uh, this plan by Frank Bolton, by rank, by, uh, excuse me, by, by Frank Bolton, by Rick White uh, to try and get this, this league to 12 teams by the 2023 season. And while Hagerstown needs a new stadium, of course, it doesn't seem like, They'll do the thing where, oh, we're going to play our last couple of years in the old stadium and then we're going to make the move. I, that wasn't really a great idea to begin with. It doesn't seem it doesn't seem like they're going with that at all. But listen, it's exciting. I, I You really hope that, I mean, minor league baseball has been in, in Hagerstown for a long, long time. Uh, and of course, the interest plummeted, I think, in big, I think a big reason being the stadium. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I I'm I'm very hopeful for it. I don't I don't think it's like a slam dunk. Like it, I don't I don't I wouldn't put it in like oh Lexington like oh it, this would be re- I would be shocked if this failed because you know you don't maybe the minor league baseball enthusiasm never comes back. You you hope it does. So you definitely hope it does. But uh, but I think listen, it also gives Southern Maryland uh, Southern Maryland a nice rival. Yeah, uh, that's something not, I want to hit on. Yeah. Too, not 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 too far away, and Southern Maryland's been kind of kind of isolated uh, for a while now. So I, I think that that's definitely a good thing for them. And w- the Atlantic League at this point's got to add. I mean, what after this eight-team roster was set for this year, they needed to still look to add four more to try and get to a twelve-team league by the twenty twenty-three season. And this is this is a good first step. So let's hope there's there's no delays in construction. And I very much look forward to their ownership group uh, releasing details of the stadium. I'm sure that's something we will cover extensively and very, very excited about it. Yep, absolutely. I definitely want to hit on the, the topic of Southern Maryland and how this works for them too. But I do want to just touch on first, I do expect the stadium to be built on time and to meet its goal. I will say they may want to just schedule like maybe a week-long road trip to open up the season for that team just to kind of buy a little bit of extra time for uh, in case there's a delay or something like that. You know, just better safe than sorry. Does it really hurt to start the year on the road? I don't think so in particular. And uh, I'm certainly interested to see what that baseball market is like. Obviously, like you said, the attendance has dipped, but as we know from 
from uh, from past teams. That's never always the most accurate depiction of how popular a team is or how popular the sport is in an area. There's a lot of things that go into that attendance from ownership on down. And a poor stadium, as was the case with uh, the previous stadium in Hackertstown, is definitely a contributing factor. And now when you have a brand new ballpark, one that almost certainly will be 50 plus million dollars put into constructing it, it's definitely going to be very nice. It's definitely going to continue that trend of having these nice newer buildings uh, for Atlantic League specific design and Atlantic League specific teams like we saw in Gastonia, like we saw in High Point, like we saw in York and Lancaster and the list goes on and on. So I'm definitely excited for them on that front. And like I said, and to get back to Southern Maryland, how this relates to them, I said it on uh, Monday when this was announced. The Blue Crabs teased a big announcement. They meant, you know, their promotional schedule getting released and all these other things that they were announcing personally. But this was really the biggest news for them, I think, in my mind, that this could have possibly been announced on Monday. Because, like you said, they've kind of been out on the island on their own. They really haven't had a natural rival. I suppose you could argue those kind of like Southeast Pennsylvania teams but if we're being honest that there's enough distance there where it's not really a natural fit for a rival and they never really had one that would ever work in a meaningful way now you have an in-state rival sure there may be some distance there to travel in between but there's enough where you could realistically maybe get a bus thing going like Estonia and High Point we're talking about doing there's enough where you have a cultural similarity there where you can create some sort of a battle of the roses type thing uh, between those two teams. You have that kind of just natural rivalry that will definitely help a Blue Crabs team, which is no stranger to the bottom of Atlantic League attendance. That's just the, sure. the honest reality of it. So having a natural rival there will help both teams in that sense. And also, it's going to make scheduling a lot easier too, to be quite honest, because now you have teams that are all really close there. So you can have one road trip where you go, say, those York and Lancaster teams, and then you swing through Haggardstown or Southern Maryland, and boom, there you go. You have a nine-game road trip where you're not really going as far as you could, would otherwise have to. And I'm just really excited to see how this turns out. And obviously, being someone that's huge in the stadium architecture, I'm very interested to see how this stadium is built what it looks like, the dimensions of it, everything like that. So I'm really excited for this, and it's definitely a great starting point, even if this is going to be kind of that last stage of expansion that we're going to see in the Atlantic League. But they are well and well in a way off onto their uh, 12-team goal here. And, uh, yeah, that kind of, I think, brings us to the second team that we got news on this week, also from Monday, coincidentally, which is Stan Island. They're expected to have an agreement with uh, someone to operate the Atlantic League and the Atlantic League in general by month's end, supposedly, with a hopeful goal of being ready to play next year, so 2022. There's obviously a lot of work that still needs to go in. The stadium in and of itself needs a lot of work still, but it does look like that's finally going to be coming to a head, so I'd say by the time we're talking team previews, we'll be talking about the Staten Island team coming into the league. Obviously, there's still a bit of a mess, legally speaking, as far as the previous ownership's concerned, and they're suing Major League Baseball, and it's still not the cleanest cut situation, but it does look like there is going to be baseball on Staten Island in 2022, and hopefully... 
It's going to work out a lot better. Uh, when we had Rob on the show, Rob Pimsner, he talked about all the failings of this ownership group and how the island does want to support a baseball team, but they want a team that's invested in the island to support. And clearly, every party involved has saw the failings of not investing in that local uh, community and what that goes into it. And hopefully they're going to learn from that and they're going to grow from that and they're going to have uh, more Stan Island culturally based team and focused team and this is going to be successful and hopefully they're right and we have an agreement done in two weeks time and we go on you know a week or two from now we talk about how great it is to have Stan Island in and we know two of the four teams but uh, just thoughts on Stan Island I guess. Yeah I, I think as long as the, this new ownership group of course we don't know the full details of who they are, where they're from, what their background is. That That's all news that's going to be coming out. Mm-hmm. Uh, not really sure uh, the details there at the moment. However, I mean, the, the potential in this market is, is certainly there, right? Yeah. I think you, need, you definitely need to uh, renovate some parts of the stadium, which uh, you would think would happen by, by the start of the 2022 season. And, I, I think, of course, to reference back to our interview with with Rob with uh, Rob Pinster, I mean, there there is a lot of potential for this Staten Island market. Of course, for Long Island, who amazingly for this season is kind of on an island of its own. Mm-hmm. This gives a perfect rival uh, for for them. Uh, Staten Island, not too far away from Long Island at all. Yeah. Uh, and so that it makes a lot of sense. You're going to be tapping in. You, you could you could really maybe even hit that former Yankee kind of player market. Uh, I think you could you could certainly see that the same way Long Island is always looking for former Mets, including one we might be referencing a little bit later. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but and not to mention, at least in the ten teams we know now, if nothing else, at least. Each t- there is no team on an island of its own, which is it's something for the Atlantic League, who in, a, in throughout its history has, for the most part, I guess maybe save for like its beginning when it was very very northeast focused. Yeah. Of course, it's expanded so much now. There's always been that team on an island of its own. Of course, that being Sugarland, uh, Sugarland and High Point, most recently. I mean, now y- you could even put teams into five pairs. Let's say, including Hagerstown and Staten Island, you have Long Island and Long Island and Staten Island together. You have York and Lancaster together. You have Hagerstown and Southern Maryland together. You have West Virginia and Lexington together. You have, and of course, you have High Point and Gastonia together. I think, if nothing else, uh, I, I mean, because to be honest with you, I'm not a hundred percent sure what we're looking at for these for these other two teams. I guess mm-hmm. what we'll have we'll have to see, but at least. In, in the current setup that we know will what it will be uh, in at least 10 of the hopefully 12 teams by 2023, it's a really good setup. It, it, it's a, it's a good setup for a league that is um, that, that is built for sustainable success to come. And I think that's all in, in a time was Atlantic league fans have had to deal with so much change. Like, and I mean so much change. Over the past two years, I think a lot of us would welcome 
you know, some some nice stability, and I think that we're we're certainly on our way to that. Yep, absolutely. And it's interesting here because I was going to ask you about those two other kind of mystery markets here. We know one for twenty three. We know one for twenty two. I wonder who's going to be the other one that comes in in twenty two and the other one in twenty three. Because twenty three, yeah. at least, you have some flexibility. If a ballpark needs to be built or renovated, you have you know roughly two years from today when we're recording this to get all that together, finances together, and, you know, the, get the actual work done. But 22, I mean, renovation, yeah, you could probably get it done in a year, especially, like, again, if you build in, like, say, an extra week into that schedule where they're on the road to open the year, then, yeah, you could almost certainly get it done, especially if you started within the next three months. I don't imagine there's too much renovation that nine months can't be enough time to fix. So you have a lot, you have some flexibility, I should say, not a lot, but there are more limited options there. So I'm very curious to know, like, if you have any sort of inkling as to who would 22 or, or even 23 for that matter be. So for 22, especially, you you got to have a stadium that's that's currently built right now and you don't need major, major renovations to. Mm. I think that kind of goes without saying. So you know, I'm still holding out hope that maybe Lowell, Massachusetts mm. is a possibility. And if they're brought back in as like a high affiliate and that leaves Salem open in Virginia, I think that is also, that could also be a market that the, that the Atlantic League hits. There was originally plans to try and put a team in Virginia, yeah. uh, over in Virginia Beach that of course fell through. However, Salem's in a good area. It's right off... Um, it's right off, I believe, the highways 81 that goes okay. through there, uh, Interstate 81. So it's not, it's not like on. I'm sorry, Southern Maryland, but Waldorf, Maryland, is not really close to anything. That's not, that's not the case with a market like Salem, which has. Uh, I would, I would, I, w- I hesitate to call it a great ballpark and great facilities, but passable for sure. It has an Atlantic so, League level. Yeah, it, it, it certainly is. So I, I think one of those two markets. I would hope to see in the Atlantic League in 2022. Uh, and as far as 23, you know, I don't know if they have enough time to build a stadium unless there's like secret negotiations that we don't know that we have not heard about. Yeah. Um, but that would, so that's I'm a big sure thing to fly that. under the radar, though. That is a big thing to fly under the radar. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not uh, as far as 23. I'm yeah, it's hard. I'm I'm not yeah. sure. I don't know if they. I mean, certainly, a lot of these other markets. Maybe, um, you know, maybe. Uh, how about this? Because I don't know what the agreements are. Mm. Well, because for example, like these new like these new like agreements between minor league affiliates and their teams. How how long were those? Now are they like three? Are they three years? Like they were talking about, or they're like ten years? I believe like the original number I heard back in like 19 was like 20 years, but got tossed right out the window. I'm pretty yeah. sure it's 10. I think that's the new number is 10 years. Cause I thought part of the whole reason behind the structure was the major league teams wanted to have an affiliate for like a very long time. So that way they knew when they were putting assets into it, or if they were to put assets into the physical stadium or the organization itself, they wouldn't just take the money and run to someone else, you know, five years down the line. So I think it's 10. 
Yeah, hey, listen, I, I think if Trenton, if Trenton maybe gets back into the affiliated game, which uh, another thing we'll reference here in a little bit. Yep, that's whoever up next, they bu- actually. Whoever they bump out, whoever they bump out, I don't know who it'll be. I mean, although I'm not sure as far as like agreements if they can do that. Binghamton comes to mind, but I like on a on a if you throw contracts out the window, but of course yeah. you can't throw contracts out the window. So I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure what they're thinking. Yeah, I, I got no no guesses either. I mean, I I think it becomes a lot more interesting if you say, okay, well, you can play on college campuses or something like that. You know, that'd be a lot more intriguing. There, you know, in my heart of hearts, I hope, I really do hope there's somewhere else in New Jersey that gets a team, even if it's not local. Obviously, you know, I have my two or three teams. And I mean, I've talked about Atlantic City. I have the whole build a team series off of Atlantic City. That was my pick. And we're going to continue with that towards the end of the show. But I realistically know that's a bit of a long shot as much as, you know, the Atlantic League does have an eye on it. But it still is a long shot. And even if it's not close by me or something, I just would like an Atlantic League team in New Jersey just because it's so weird to not have one in the state of New Jersey because there's always been one in New Jersey. Hell, at one point, there was, what, three, four teams in New Jersey? I think three yeah. with Atlantic City, Newark, and Somerset. So to go from three to in zero. Camden. Yeah, oh, in oh Camden. yeah, in Camden. Yeah, so four. Yeah, yeah. there was I forgot all about them. So in the course of less, yeah, less than a decade, they went from four to none it's just you know it's it's a big jump off there so you know i hope that somewhere but i like i said i don't really see any place here two of those stadiums are demolished one jump to affiliated ball and the other one needs repairs so i guess atlantic city by default's kind of the front runner but even then it's mm-hmm. not you know it's not exactly the think they're running a great race at the moment they still need a lot of work there so you know, I, I have no real way here. I think Salem, you're on to something there. It makes sense. Or Lowell makes sense. It's just, you know, it's going to be very interesting to hear. And obviously, by the year's end, we'll know the, the two teams for 22. We know Long Island's one now, but we'll know the other one. And then hopefully, uh, we'll, we'll know shortly thereafter for the other team in 23. But uh, who knows? I guess that's a, a wait-and-see proposition. So... Uh, yep. On that note, we can talk to one market that you referenced there, which is Trenton. Although I think we can both agree Trenton will never come to the Atlantic League, nope. at least as long as the current ownership holds that team. Uh, because yeah. they, they made it very clear that they are now the, the highest level of baseball in New Jersey, as they made it Ooh, Congratulations, guys. You I know. Did it. Congrats. You, you beat out the Frontier League and High A Lakewood. And I don't think I'm missing anybody, so congratulations. Although you technically, after this year, are going to be the lowest level of professional baseball. Oh, well, not even professional baseball, because those guys well, aren't getting paid. They should, they should post that on their Instagram. <laughs> exactly. Which I just thought that was such a schmuck mode to be like, we're the highest level of, bo- of baseball because we're hosting a AAA team. <laughs> it's like, yeah, great great job, guys. But good for them. I mean, I mean I good mean, like, for yeah. them. They get to host the team. Yeah. I mean, a AAA team, that's awesome. Yeah, I suppose I should actually introduce the news story before we yes. start talking about it. Yeah, that would probably be helpful. So yeah, last week, it was announced that Toronto's AAA affiliate that is the Buffalo Bison, which is one of those things which is like really obvious and you think would work a lot better than it does, but it really doesn't work all that well because it's kind of <laughs> awkward. Well, it is awkward. Is it not awkward to go, the Buffalo okay. Bison's? Well, is the, is buffalo and bison's wait? Buffalo bison, bison is buffalo? the plural of buffalo. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was just about to say, I'm like, aren't 
buffaloes and bisons the same thing? Yeah, it's it's this. Although technically, you could say buffaloes, which is what I think the University of Buffalo is. I think it's like the University yes. of Buffalo Buffaloes, which is even dumber. But at least it's kind of funny to say, so they oh, get a pass. Goodness. I got I got a qualm with that. I got a qualm with that. Like you could have called them like the herd or something. Which let me just say. I understand, and this is part of it, uh, the AAA team is going to play its home games in Trenton, and when they're in Trenton, they're going to go by the Trenton Thunder name, which makes sense. It just it saves a lot of time having to rebrand stuff, and you already have everything printed, so it just works. But I wish they would have just used the generic name of the Thundering Herd, like Marshall, or go the Thundering Buffalo or something like that. Like, you could have done, like, a combination of the two and come up with some really cool mock logos and whatnot. But, you know, I digress. So, the Trenton Ballpark is now going to host the AAA club for this season, seeing as the Toronto Blue Jays are going to be playing out of the Buffalo Stadium in Buffalo. And, obviously, it's just going to be a conflict of dates, so they need another ballpark. And, uh, yeah, so that's going to be for this year. And, uh the MLB Draft League team that was going to play in there this year. They need to find a new city. We don't know where that is yet. Maybe they'll go to Atlantic City. Who knows? But <laughs> look, it seems in New Jersey, and that seems good enough I for the MLB could. Draft League. Oh, That's not a very high bar, but yeah, it, it certainly could be. I mean, listen, good, good, good for Trenton. I mean, I'm sure their ownership is like jumping up and down that they get to host a AAA team for the year. Not to mention, they get to show off essentially that hey, our facilities are still good, our field problems are are, are no longer problems, and I think that there's no doubt that it is a great thing. Uh, it is a great thing for Trenton, and it's funny because I was thinking about I was reading their FAQ because of course like, I I want to head down there for some games, like for some AAA games, only about 45 minute, 40 45 minute drive for me. Like sign me yeah. up, but. Uh, the FAQ is like, what happened? Like, one of the questions is like, what happens to the draft league? And I really wanted to, I really hoped their answer was, wait, do you really care? <laughs> do, do you, do you care? I mean, yeah, like, anyway, I just don't see like the MLB draft league, that whole idea, at least for the Trenton Thunder, the fact that uh, they could spin it whatever they, whatever way they want. I mean, that's a complete disaster for them. Luckily, for at least for one year, they get to postpone that issue for, for a year. Uh, but, I think that they should be successful this year, you would think. And you know they want they, – it's no secret they want to be an affiliated team again. They want to be affiliated with somebody in whatever league that may be. And so we'll, we'll have to see how that works out. But, I mean, look, I mean, good for Trenton for this year, but it, it postpones their whole MLB Draft League problem for, for a year. And, you know, I guess you could put the MLB Draft League in, in Atlantic City. I mean, all you just need is, like, I mean, stadium. literally a functioning stadium. I mean, it's certainly that. It literally hosts, anything. Yeah, I mean, it hosts Atlantic City or Atlantic uh, County Community College as it is. It doesn't really well, take there you that, go, then. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't take that much for to get the thing up and running. So, I mean, like, realistically, I mean, that may actually work out well for Atlantic City. If you could draw interest in with that thing, maybe you get an ownership group that's interested in it. At the very least, the stadium gets used and can generate some money for the city. So, I mean, right. or at least whoever owns it. And uh, maybe that shows that, look, we deserve another shot at having a pro team and everyone can wind up being happy here. So, I mean, like, I agree with you. I'm happy for the fans in Trenton and everything about that. I'm not thrilled for the ownership because I don't like rewarding them after they were all pouty and shit. I mean, yeah. of course they want to be affiliated. But to that, I ask, how does it feel to want? I mean, like, really, like, 
I understand you're not happy with how it all went down. No one was really happy with how it went down. I'm sure if we asked every team that was cut and they we gave them the option, would you rather be independent or affiliated? They'd say, oh, we'd love to be affiliated still. Maybe one or two notwithstanding. So, I mean, like, yeah, I, I give you some sympathy on that, especially because it does seem like, you know, the Yankees didn't handle it in the best of ways. It seemed like uh, kind of, oh, you're good, you're good, you're good. Oh, wait, the, the agreement's done. We're going to explore our options. Don't worry about it. And then, you know, one thing leads to another. And it's, oh, by the way, we decided to go a different way. Best of luck to you. Like, yeah. it, it definitely seemed like it was done in a schmucky way, at least. Because there's enough people that, uh, or enough Yankee affiliates, I should say, that were cut that all got the seemingly same treatment. So one is like, okay, well, that's just disgruntled. Two was a hell of a coincidence. So, I mean... You take it for what you will. The other one's Stanton Island. So, I mean, you could make an argument there that they're not exactly, you know, acting in good faith when they say how it happened there. But regardless of all that, I still don't like rewarding that kind of uh, pissy attitude they had. And I'm also still harboring a bit of resentment for calling the Atlantic League, what was it, sub-quality baseball? Group of of subpar players. Yeah, apparently I didn't realize that, you know, these guys are subpar. They only played in the major. Apparently, Ty Kelly's a subpar player. I didn't realize that. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's news to me. I know. I thought Major League veteran Ty Kelly was not a subpar player. At least for what, the, uh, the five years he was on a Major League roster, he wasn't subpar? Yeah, I mean, it's weird, though, because I, uh, I, I think that you would agree that players that make the Major Leagues are not, are not subpar, and it's weird. I mean, I, I could have sworn the uh, York Revolution opening day starter in 2019 was in the majors by the end of the season. So exactly. Uh, yeah. that, of course, that being Ross Detweiler. So I mean, yeah, I mean I that's, that's that's confusing to me. But yeah, I remember. Their own. Yeah, I remember Tyler Cloud getting signed by uh, by Somerset there and not really lasting that long in Atlantic League uniform either. No, and then they got. It's funny how when the, these guys get purchased too, a lot of them go to AAA. I mean, it clearly, and then I guess the the players they're hosting are are, are uh, that they're hosting in Trenton this year are subpar players by their logic. Exactly, you know. I just, it's just interesting how that is, you know. But uh, I, I guess it's weird it, logic. Exactly, it's just it's very odd there. So on that front, I'm not thrilled for ownership to get something like this. But for everybody else involved, it is great, and hopefully it works out for the positive here. But uh, th- that's about all I got to to add on that. Yeah. So we we have one other like kind of major topic and then just some cleanup ones to get through and then our build a team. And obviously this is a lot of stuff to cover, but this is two weeks worth of news that backpiled. Uh, so bear with us here. And we warned you it was going to be a long one. So it is a long one. We didn't lie. Uh, we did not lie. So this is a very interesting story, which probably would have been the lead if we recorded last week which is the Rocky Mountain Vibes, a Pioneer League team, have made a partnership with a Mexican League team. And it is uh, Monclava. I'm not going to try and pronounce um, the uh, the official name of the team. I think it technically translates to like Steelers or something. At least that's what I kind of inferred from the, from the release. But uh, they have a partnership with Monclava of the, the Mexican League. And what I don't quite understand here, because it almost seems like the press release conflicts with itself, is it says the Vibes will host minor league players from the Mexican league team, 
But then it later goes on to say that the Mexican League team will play the 2021 season in Colorado Springs as the Vibes. And this is a team that has major league talent on there. I mean, Bartolo Colon yeah. is on this team, which is quite clearly the the exact opposite type of player the Pioneer League is going for. They're going for 23 and younger, kind of undrafted guys, or guys cut from like low A, maybe high A, and the occasional 25-year-old. Essentially, they're going for a slightly younger demographic than what the Frontier League's going for. And I don't think a, what, 39, 40-year-old Bartolo Colon is exactly um, what the Pioneer Col- League Colon is. Colon is much older than that. Isn't he like 45? Is he? I don't know. I'm going to check. I could have I could yeah, have sworn he's like, I'm I, going I, to check it. I'm probably wrong on this, but yeah. Oh, okay. He's not, He. I, I, I'll, I'll, I also was off. He is going to turn 48 in May. So he's essentially twice as old as the average frontier, or not a frontier, it's the average pioneer leaguer. That is correct. But anyway, yeah, about but, this this partnership. Yeah. My first reaction when I read this was, what the hell did I just read? Yep. Like, I, so let me get this straight. A Mexican league team that, Basically, a lot of players in the Atlantic League are working to try to get a shot there. Essentially, that level of talent, which is really quadruple-A ball. Like, yep. It seriously is. I mean, it is quadruple-A ball. They are going to play the season as the Rocky Mountain. That roster is going to play the season against 20, like 24, 23, 24, 25-year-olds in the Pioneer League. Talk and Listen, they're going to... If this happens, I mean, I'm sorry, Bartolo Colon's going to draw people in the ballpark. Yeah, he is. I get it. I understand the financial incentive here. I mean, talk about the season is over before it started. <laughs> like, holy crap! I mean, this isn't going to even be close. Uh, and I mean, and I guess I, I'm not understanding here. So, what happened to like? Did something happen to the stadium in in Monclava? I, I honestly like, don't know. Like that's the thing. Like I, I I thought maybe I misread the thing, and that like maybe Monclava is is like the parent club, and they were going to give someone like the minor leaguers. So I looked like, is there a minor league for LMB? And technically, there's yeah. two. There's two that are there, but there's only six teams in the other one, and then it's just like academies. So I was like, oh well, maybe it's that. And then that latter bit where it's like, oh, they're going to play this season in Colorado Springs is the vibes. And they list guys that are currently on the roster. So I would assume you'd only list them if you were anticipating for at least one or two of them to come to the Pioneer League. And like, you know what I think we need to do, Nick? Yeah. I think we need to get somebody from the Rocky Mountain Vibes on the show to figure out what the hell is going on. I agree with that. I think we do need to get at least someone from the Pioneer League. But I think Rocky Mountain specifically. League. Yeah, hell, we'll one. try and go. We'll go for both. That, or you know, what? we'll just settle and get Bartolo Colon on. <laughs> My first question, Bartolo: How did you do that, like flip thing behind the back against Miami? <laughs> Second of all, Bartolo, you are forty-eight, and why are you pitching in the Pioneer League? What is going on? I, I can't. I can't even begin to analyze this because I. I fully don't. It is so like I understand what the press release said. Yeah. And I you could you could basically understand what it means, but it is so wacky is not even the word to describe it. I have never seen in my life. I mean, 
for example, you've seen the Texas Air Hogs, but they're going the opposite direction in the yeah. sense that you're bringing guys who are clearly not American Association quality uh, into the league, and you just lose, and and you you go like forty games under five hundred every year. Yeah. This is the opposite. I mean, are there not like here's the thing, like does the Pioneer League not have like roster rules? That makes there this has to illegal. Be. There has to be like, so, I, but how is it legal then? How how is this happening? I honestly don't know. Like, I really don't know. Although I will say now, I really want to see Bartolo <laughs> Colon bat in the Pioneer League because imagine him in the Colorado atmosphere. If he can hit a home oh, run yeah. in Petco Park, he can hit one in Colorado Springs and like Idaho. He damn well can do that. I mean. Yeah, you would think. Just imagine being like some 22-year-old, like just graduated from like your Division three college. You're like the number two starter there. You're good enough. You caught on and you're playing for like the Missoula Paddleheads. And then, you know, you're a decent pitcher. You're like, okay, you know, maybe I could get my shot and I could carve out an independent career. And then I could go into coaching or open my own like academy or something like that. And you really got all these hopes and expectations. And then... Bartolo Colon at 48 years old comes to the plate and you're like, oh, he's nothing. He's a pitcher. He can't hit. And then you throw one down the middle and Bartolo Colon takes you for 380 yards over the fence. Just imagine, like, is that just not baseball in a nutshell? It, I, I, I don't even know. I don't even know what to say. It, it is. It's so beautiful. <laughs> I'm so con- I'm so confused. This whole thing is very confusing. I'm like, if somebody has more information about this, please, please send it to us because I couldn't find anything else from like the Pioneer League site itself. The the official like Monclava press release, like when you translate it to English, says the same thing. Like it's a uniform release from everywhere, and I, I just can't tell here. And like we have to be wrong on this. There's no way they're actually gonna suit up their their like quadruple A team in the Pioneer League. Like if they did this in like, like the Atlantic League or even the American Association, I could see that. It would, you know, they'd sure. still be a stacked team, but it certainly wouldn't be as lopsided. They'd be a heavy yeah. favorite. But, they, but I can very well see, like, a team like a Milwaukee or Kansas City. We've talked about them. They're deep teams. Sure. They they certainly could, you know, take their pound of flesh from them. And, I mean, in a five-game series, anything could happen. You just need to get hot at the right time. This is just, like, even them cold is going to just steamroll them. So, let me get this straight. If Monclava from the Mexican League purchases a player, purchases the contract of a player from the Atlantic League, <laughs> congratulations, <laughs> you're now playing in the Pioneer League? What the hell is going on? What is this malarkey? I don't understand. This can't be right. <laughs> I just imagine David Kubiak gets purchased at, at like the mid-break. He's like, oh, thank God. I won't have to pitch with any of these weird-ass rules with the mound and anything. And then they go, okay, congratulations for reporting to Colorado Springs. You're in the Pioneer League. And do like do they get paid the same? That's what I like, want to know. Does Monclava get paid? Like I mean, because they're they not getting the, paid, they pay their players well in Mexico. They yeah, do. and like that's the two twofold here. Because one, if they're not getting the like the standard LMB salary, half of these players are going to straight up dip. They're just not going to report. Because why? Why would you play for the Pioneer League salary? Like no, they're they're not. They're not I mean, Barcelo Cologne is not taking like less than normal salary. Of course, because he has no reason to. And then secondly, 
are they going to be paid in American dollars or or like a, a Mexican peso? Because I'm going to imagine well, exchange rates different. I mean, I don't think it's as long as it's like equivalent. I don't think it's that big of a deal. You can always just exchange whatever. Yeah, but still, I mean, it's still a question you have to ask. Because like, are you paying them in what the American equivalent would be? Because this is the same problem the NHL had pre-05 lockout. Because Canadian teams would pay their players in the Canadian dollar that was worth less than the American dollar. So if you're still going to pay them in like, if you're going to pay them like, I don't know, say 100 peso, then the conversion over into the American dollar is going to be worse. You're going to get less than that. So like, I got to imagine that's a factor too. Unless you're so going to say one like... Team is- so one team is going to be paid like let's assume for let's assume for for simplicity yeah. that Monclava is getting paid exactly what they would in the Mexican league okay. like it, like whatever I guess if you want to translate what they get paid in pesos to the American dollar it's probably a couple hundred thousand yeah that that's what they that's what they get paid down there I don't have the exact numbers in front of me yeah however and the Pioneer League you could assume is probably what like two thousand a month maybe maybe I probably you're probably leaning closer to like yeah, it's probably about 500 it's probably about 500 a week I'd say yeah yeah so probably about 2000 so what the hell yeah like there's just a there's a major discrepancy here we there's so, there has to be somebody who knows more than we do about this and then can clear this up because this is pure madness. It, it does. Like, and the best part is all this could be cleared up with one simple question. Is the actual Monclava team going to be in Colorado Springs? Or is it just going to be like the minor league players that are going to be there? Because if it's yeah. the minor league players, then okay, everything just got a lot clearer. But if it's... That, the- that, that is very true. Yeah. I mean, it, it is... It is uh, this is this this is some story for sure. Yeah, I and, have to uh, reach out to them. Unlike with the Ty Kelly bit, where I never actually reached out, I actually do have to reach out to these guys because I I need to know. Like, we need to know this answer because this is just too crazy to to not warrant an answer. So, skipping skipping the quotes. Yeah. Uh, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll read the pre- we'll leave it at this. I'll we'll read the press yeah. release. We'll try to dissect it. I'll skip the quotes because I don't really care about what any of them have to say. Uh. Here we go. For the first time in Colorado Springs professional baseball history, the Rocky Mountain Vibes have entered an agreement with, uh, I'll just say Monclava, of the Liga Mexicana de Baseball to host some minor league players from the Aceros this year in the Pioneer League. Right? Okay. Okay, So that's that's pretty straightforward. The Aceros will play their 2021 season in Colorado Springs and take on the identity of the Vibes. Got it. So the quote, quote, don't care, don't care. Uh, the Aceros uh, de Monclava, or Monclava Steelers, debuted in 1974 and are owned by some guy. The club is coming off their first league championship in 2019, where they went 75-45 and 45 and won their division. The Aceros' current roster features former major league players like Bartolo Colon, Eric Ibar, Chris Carter, Al Albuquerque, Tigers legend who gave up a grand slam to the Red Sox in the 2013 ALCS, and Brian Mattis, who also pitched with the Long Island Ducks in 2019. The team has, has also formerly featured numerous Sky Sox players, including Willie Tavares, Franklin Morales, Eric Young Jr., and Jordan Pacheco. Uh... And then more quotes, more quotes. The Rocky Mountain Vibes played their inaugural season in 2019 after spending 30 years as the Colorado Springs Sky Sox. With the, 2019, with the 2020 season halted due to the pandemic, the Vibes were still, off, were still able to offer fans safe and affordable 
uh, blah, blah, blah. Now joining the MLB partnership, Pioneer League, the Vibes will look to continue the success in 2021. Okay, so they said pretty straightforward in the first paragraph, they will they will host some minor league players from yep. the Aceros. But then they say the Aceros are the club. Then they talk about the club is coming off their first championship and their current roster features blank. I think it's minor league after reading that. Like it has I, to I, be. I th- and I do want to preface this. If you want to see the press release, it's linked in the show notes that's on the website. So just go to IndieBallReport.com, go to show notes, scroll to the bottom. It'll be there under episode 110, whatever the hell we wind up titling this. Click the drop down menu. Boom. All the show notes, all the links to everything that we talk about is there. I would be inclined to agree with you, but then there's that line where they're going to play the 2021 season in Colorado Springs as the Sky Sox, which throws everything that throws everything to a loop. It's that Uh, one sentence. Who wrote this press release? You've got to be direct and straight with us. Exactly. Like if it's minor league players, then say the minor league, then these players will join the Sky Sox under this identity. If it's not, if it's going to be minor league players from both, then say it's going to be a mixture of LMB talent and their minor league affiliates or their minor league partners. If it's some minor league players, don't tell us about Barcola, Cologne, Eric Ibar, Al Albuquerque, because it doesn't matter. They're not coming. That's yeah. Like, don't mention the current, like, I can understand like why you put that in there because you want to hype up this team as like a look at the kind of caliber of player that plays on this team. So you're going to see guys that are going to turn into that or that are becoming that. Like I understand why their names are mentioned for hype reasons, but at the same time, it's that other line that make it's the they're going to be here in Colorado under this identity that throws a whole wrench into everything because everything else makes sense. It's that one line. If it's if they're going to be there then don't mention minor league players because that's not the lead. Don't lead with that. Lead with, we're going to have quadruple-A talent here. That's your lead. Like, and we are going to destroy the entire league. Exactly. Yeah. Like, done, done. So I think we've, we've talked it to death. We have some other things we need to cover. So we'll leave it at that. Hopefully we'll have someone either on the show to clear this up or when I reach out to them, they'll clear it up. Either way, uh, we'll hopefully have an answer for you next week. And uh, we'll go from there. And like I said, if you want to find the press release, either you could just go to the Rocky Mountain Vibes website or you could go to our website, go to show notes, and the link to the press release will be there under the show notes tab, episode number 110. So that said... We go to some other news. It's just a handful of miscellaneous. We'll try and get through these fairly quick. So that way we can get to the second phase of three of our build a team, uh, I guess, series would be the best way of putting it. Project, I guess, could also work too. But uh, any case, so kind of the another interesting note from last week's show. We have the new Lincoln Salt Dog manager. And as we keep spitballing this guy's name on this show for whenever there's a vacancy, his name finally gets uh, drawn here. He finally picked where he wanted to go. And I kind of emphasize that this guy got to pick it because I guarantee you he had a, a lot of job opportunities here uh, across the indie ball landscape. And Brett Jody lands in Lincoln. He replaces James Frisbee that we talked about on the last non-clip show episode of the Indie Ball Report as uh, Frisbee took a job with the Detroit Tigers. 
as I believe it was a BP specialist and left-handed BP specialist. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Jody is now the ninth manager in team history, and not that we need to tell the Somerset or Atlantic League fans that listen to this show, but he's an extremely good manager. He racked up 556 wins to only 405 losses and an Atlantic League championship in 2015. Uh, there's not much more to say other than Brett Jody's extremely good at managing the game of baseball. He has done so for quite some time. He's been on a coaching staff for even longer. He's played the game for even longer. He knows what it takes to get to the major leagues because he's also done that. He's really good at what he does. So uh, good for Lincoln. Hopefully, and I got to imagine this will help them recruit more and more talent to uh, sure. Nebraska. Yeah, I, th- I think I think it certainly does help in that recruiting aspect. Not to mention, I mean, Brett Jody has, of course, his list of guys, specifically on the pitching that side of things, that he is that have come through Somerset and have made the major leagues after playing in Somerset. So I, I think Brett Jody's accolades really go without saying, and uh, it, it's an outstanding hire for Lincoln. It really is, uh, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how the how he builds his roster. For the first year, I know in Somerset it was heavily pitching focused. I don't see why that would change uh, in the American Association. Of course, now though you're dealing with a little bit different roster rules than than say you would in the Atlantic League. But I, I mean, regardless, Salt Dogs fans should should be thrilled with with, with this hire for sure. Yep, absolutely. And like you said, his accomplishments speak for themselves. So we could continue to sing his praise, but I think the message kind of gets clear that he's extremely good at his job. So uh, kind of sticking on that Atlantic League note and kind of the American Association connection only going the opposite way this time. Uh, Ty Kelly, we mentioned him in our Kansas City uh, preview and how, oh, we don't know how long he's going to be because he's probably doing this for an Olympic tune-up and everything. Well, he got dealt to Long Island because Long Island just has a natural affinity for acquiring former Mets, although Lexington's doing their damnedest to beat them out to it. They got like two or three Mets themselves. But Long Island kind of has a reputation for this, and they just could not let a guy like Ty Kelly go because he is the definition of a Long Island duck. So he gets dealt to Long Island from Kansas City, signs a contract. He's going to be there till at least uh, Team Israel departs, and he winds up playing in Rockland for that little bit for Team Israel and then off to Tokyo. Yeah, so I, I mean, as far Ty Kelly, he's look, he, he's he's solid. Um, I don't think he's going to put up. I don't think he's any sort of game changing ad. I think he's a he's a solid addition. I was probably going to start uh, either at second base, shortstop, or uh, probably in the middle infield for the Ducks. He'll be there as long as uh, before he heads uh, off to play with Team Israel. And it, it should be mentioned, you know, Ty, we talk about Ty Kelly with Team Israel, but I mean. You'd have to think Blake Galen's probably in the same boat with Lancaster, right? Yeah, probably, yeah. And uh, J- J- Jared Lockend. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's a big storyline this year, uh, for sure, with, with beyond Ty Kelly. But, yeah, I mean, Ty Kelly, uh, he really does, is a perfect fit for the Ducks. Former Met, fans loved him when he played for the Mets. Uh, they, they, will, they will go to see him play, and so... I mean, that, that, that's that's great for them. Again, I think when you look at the end of the season, how many games Ty Kelly played, even if he comes back for the end of the year, you're probably looking at him only playing, what, like 50 games? Probably about that, so, yeah. So I think you'll probably have a guy like LJ Mazzilli, uh, who re-signed. Another who, who former Met prospect. Days ago. Another former Met prospect. Uh, and, of course, Lee Mazzilli, his, his dad was a Met, right? Yep. And so, uh, and so, 
he's probably he's had some experience playing the outfield last year. I would bet that's where he starts, and so Ty Kelly can get it to can play the infield along with Steve Lombardozzi. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. I think, yeah. I mean, it, it's a solid signing. If you're if you're expecting Ty Kelly to come in and absolutely sh- like rake in the Atlantic League, I don't think that'll happen. I don't think he's really been that guy throughout his career. Uh, but I think it's a solid addition. He's definitely an above average option for the Ducks at uh, at second base or short, as long as he's there, and he'll certainly be a valuable player for them. Yeah, would you say he's kind of like the infield equivalent of like maybe a Kirk Newenheist type? Um. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. I mean, Kirk Newenheist when he came was he was fine. Like he he was a big name, but he yeah, wasn't. Uh, his name's bigger than his production. Yes, yes, specifically, uh, de- definitely. He, he that that was definitely the case with Newenheist, and then he ended up retiring after the All Star break. So, um, so that of course that probably didn't go as well as the Ducks had hoped. But you know, he, he, he's a big name. He draws people to go watch him. I mean, you look up and down the road, it's like, oh, Ty Kelly's with the Ducks. Uh, so, and I ha- and of course, how do you bring up Ty Kelly without talking about his role in the, uh, in the Terry Collins, uh, I- infamous, My uh, ass is in the jackpot word? now, Terry. Yeah. Well, you said it, not me. Yeah. So, uh, of course he was in the, he was in there because, uh, I- at least in the original discussion before they cut to Terry Collins, uh, Ty Kelly was playing second base that game and he was, he was complaining to the umpires like, but there was no warnings of this prior to the game. Cause Cinder yeah. got tossed. Like to in, be fair, no, no, was just trying to throw a fastball. That's all he's he just trying, trying to throw. He's, he's just trying. No, he's just trying to throw an F and fastball. <laughs> <laughs> and MLB did nothing to that guy. He, yeah, they did he, nothing. They did nothing. What a great video! And Ty Kelly's in that video. Yeah. So now we got a link of that connection. Ah, there you go. I'm linking so, on the show. So notes. many directions. I gotta say, this episode, Nick. It is all over the place. It's an unwieldy so beast. To be fair, it's been kind of like shows where it's up and down and they're coming off a clip show so they're gonna enjoy this i say they as though they're not listening but you know that's right so uh, in any case we'll move from ty kelly to uh to two other things or three other things technically in the uh miscellaneous bin before we go to the build a team the Jackals and Yogi Bear Stadium are going to host a cricket tournament from October the 2nd to October the 11th. There are seven teams. They're based off of nationality. It's cricket, so I'm going to be honest. I didn't write them down, but I can pretty much recite them from memory. Uh, it was American, English, Aussie. Uh, I'm, it's PAC, but I'm pretty sure it stands for Pakistani. Um, Bangladeshi, Indian, and oh, what's the last one? There's one other one. It starts with a G. I don't recall it, but it, those are six of the seven. It's linked in the show notes if you care about cricket. We've talked about cricket on this show before where neither one of us really understands it. It's not really that popular. Uh, this seems to be the starting of some sort of like American Premier Cricket League or something like that. Um, and they seem to believe that, and they, I mean the, the people that operate the league, seem to think that cricket's just not been marketed correctly in the United States because they try and make it regional-based, like, you know, the New York Cricket Club or whatever it may be, and that by attaching nationality to it, you can get more support for it. I'd argue, no, just Americans don't really care all that much about cricket, and it's the kind of thing where if people want to see cricket, they'll watch it on TV. I don't really know what the cricket experience is like. Um, 
But if you do care, uh, tickets went on sale today as we record this, so <laughs> you can you can buy them now. Uh, they'll they're twenty bucks a pop, and uh, yeah. Oh my goodness! For a cricket, but to be fair, cricket twenty dollars. Like to be fair, cricket's like an all day thing. If I'm right, like short matches oh, take like true. nineteen hours. Like these things can go on for days at a time, if I remember right. I I know next to nothing about how the game works, but I will. What I will say is. I do know that at least in New Jersey, there is a there is a a very at least in 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 comparison to the rest of the uh, the country, the, yeah, the rest of the country. I and mean, when you're looking at the New Jersey, New York area, you have a very uh, you you have a, a very large number of uh, I mean of people like, from India, people from Pakistan, yeah, like um, Southeast and, and Asian. Yes, where where, um, where cricket is very big. So I think it's. See, putting in Texas with the Texas Airhogs makes no sense. Yeah. Putting it in New Jersey makes sense. So I think it'll be solid for them. I, re- I really do. Exactly. So, I mean, like, hopefully it works out. It'd be cool to have a, another thing for, at the ballpark, get some money going for the team. Uh, but Never a bad thing. Yeah, but I will be honest. I, I don't see myself spending $20 to go watch cricket in uh, the New Jersey fall. I think I could do a lot, uh, lot more interesting <laughs> stuff with my $20. So... But good on him. Good attempt. I'm, I'm just going to be honest. I don't care about cricket. I said this about <laughs> soccer. How, like any red-blooded American, I don't really care that much about soccer until it's the World Cup. And even then, until it's the Women's World Cup, I really don't care about soccer. So it's the same thing with cricket, only I care even less about cricket because I don't understand it. And like, it's not like, like if you don't like baseball, you can at least tune in and understand what's happening. You can pick it up fairly quick, at least the gist of it. Same thing with soccer, same thing with lacrosse, same thing with football, hockey, basketball. Generally speaking, it's not that hard to pick up. It's pretty straightforward what the objective is and how the scoring works. Cricket, you're just totally lost. It's like trying to, like, even rugby, you can kind of be like, okay, they're trying to get the ball from here to there, and then they get points for doing that. Cricket, I have no idea. It's cricket. Who understands cricket? Unless you grew up watching cricket or do like some serious Wikipedia about cricket, is who's gonna understand? I'm just being honest here. It's it's hard to understand, and it doesn't seem interesting enough for me to actually put the effort into understand. You know? Yeah, I I agree. I I don't really understand it. Yeah. So. On that note, we'll go back to baseball now, uh, which is the Maverick League draft is done. It was done, I want to say, a week ago, I think it was, and uh, they live-streamed it on Twitch, so you could have followed along. It was very difficult to find the draft results, but apparently you have to go to the drop-down menu on the Maverick League site and then click on the team in the drop-down menu. If you just click the Teams tab, then you cannot find it there. So that was a bit of a, a struggle for me to understand that until it was pointed out to me how it was done. Still don't think it was the best way of doing it. And also they don't like list it in a roster form. They just show like uh, a couple of graphics that list all the names uh, included in there is friend of the show, Carson Lee. We had him on the show. We told a, a really cool story about David Price and being a bat boy for the Astros and and just his experience going through independent league baseball. So if you're interested in that, you could go back into the archives and find that episode. Uh, definitely worth a listen. If you're not done listening to the show after two plus hours, uh, for whatever reason, maybe maybe you really like listening to, to the sound of her voice. So who knows? There you go. But uh, yeah, so outside of that, I didn't recognize anybody name anybody's name in there. Uh, Mickey Walker, I recognize because he's also like the CEO of the league. So he's also pitching in this. So uh, 
that's kind of a cool little thing too. Uh, outside of that, uh, I don't really have much else to say about the Maverick League. Hopefully they do well. Nothing but success, wishing on them. And if you want to listen to our interview with Mickey Walker, uh, you could do that too. It's not that far back. Uh, like end of January, we did that one. So you can listen to those two back to back. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I, I hope they do well. But um, yeah, I can't say I know too many of the names on there, but I, I hope they do well. Yep, exactly that. So uh, with that, the only thing else left we had to address here, I got one email from somebody that was kind of wanting us to just kind of explain a little bit more as to why we were so unenthused, I guess, about having the All-Star game in the Empire League. And I kind of explained a little bit in the email, but I feel like doing it on the show is a little bit better because it's uh, an easier platform to explain apprehension and you can kind of use more inflection. It just kind of gets any apprehension or gets the feelings and the point across a little bit clearer and a little bit crisper. So I do want to park like maybe two minutes just to quickly address the matter. I can only speak for myself here, but I will say I just don't think an all-star game is that necessary. Uh, Again, like you have a lot of vaccine hesitancy too. And also we still are in the process of figuring out how effective vaccines are against other variants and whatnot. And you just factor all of those things in. And I just think an all-star game is an unnecessary like event, to be quite honest. It's not like all-star games are that popular to begin with. It's like, I don't, I'm not blaming them for having it. Like if they think they can pull it off safely, that's all well and good. It just seems like it's it's an unnecessary event in my mind. Every other league has said we're not doing an all-star game with the exception of Major League Baseball, which again, major professional league sports are a bit different from, you know, minor league sports. But you have the Atlantic League not having one. You have the American Association not having one. You have the Frontier League not having one. The Pioneer League, to my knowledge, is not doing that. Um... A lot of these other smaller independent leagues, like I don't believe the USPBL is doing one, although in their case, they play all their games out of the same stadium anyway, so it's a lot less focused on there. I don't believe the Maverick League's doing one. It's just nobody else is doing one. And I just think if you wait one extra year before you start having an all-star game, that it really isn't going to make any sort of noticeable difference either way. And I do wonder a bit that... If you have a large number of people that are vaccinated, which would obviously be a good thing because it helps stop the spread and helps everything get back to normal. But if you have them there on top of people that, I don't want to say refuse to get vaccinated, but are are more concerned about that, are you creating a condition where perhaps you could reflare up an area of COVID that wasn't bad beforehand? And that's something that's a concern of mine because we know this thing spreads like a wildfire. That's one of the few things we know about this thing 100%, that all it takes is like a group of four or five people and you can have an outbreak fairly quickly. I mean, look at the Vancouver Canucks over the past weekend or over the past month. The whole team got COVID because one person had it and then the whole room went up. Obviously, it's a little bit different there because, you know, contact and whatnot, but I'm just very concerned about this kind of a thing. And it's not like we're canceling a whole season or whatever. It's an all-star game. That's really what my concern comes down to. And it just seems, like I said, very unnecessary to have. And so under that kind of guidance and pretense, that that's why I was not as hot on the idea of having that all-star game. So I'm going to keep mine pretty simple and pretty short. I mm-hmm. just think in this year, it's kind of unnecessary. Yep. Uh, and 
and my concern I have not to not to repeat too much of what Nick said, but mm-hmm. I guess to add on the one thing is, listen, at the end of the day, these teams are in their own little bubble, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to say they're going to be completely quarantined away from the rest of the world, because that's not going to happen. Uh, that's that's likely not going to happen in no. uh, not to a, not to this extent we're used to. Yep, especially not However, on this level. No, 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 definitely not. So I worry about somebody coming into an all-star game and with and potentially who is positive, doesn't know it, mm-hmm. and spreads it. But the problem is is it's not like a, like a, a normal in a normal sense, like say you use the Vancouver example, like oh you, like so one team is out for a while, you have guys that are then going back to their own respective teams, right? And yeah. so that to me, that part to me is the concerning aspect. I understand the need for all-star games. I'm not, I'm not saying that this is like malpractice or anything. I just think in this year, I think it's an unnecessary risk. I would much rather put in that, put it, put in the all, like you could still do an all-star break quote unquote as like extra days off also. So if any games get canceled because of COVID, there you are in easy, easy makeups. Yep. Uh, but I, I think just having an all-star game in general is, is an unnecessary risk uh, for this year specifically. Yeah. Especially because, and I'm not going to name names or anything, but I've got messages from players going, do you know if like any of the independent leagues are going to have a policy in regards to the COVID vaccine? I'm not, you know, I'm, it's not that I'm against getting it. It's just I'm a little hesitant about it. I, I'd like to see more data about it first. And I want to know if, if they're going to say I can't play if I don't have the vaccine or anything like that. So if I'm getting like only a handful of messages like that, I got to imagine that sediment's a bit more widespread than uh, is kind of leading on. So I definitely think that that is a, a certain concern. And I'm not even just talking about players. I'm talking about fans too. I mean, like it's, you can be like protected from the virus yourself and still be technically an active carrier in it. You could be asymptomatic. We know this is a thing. And again, it's not even so much it affects the people that are immediately there. It affects the people that they then go out and contact with. And that's that's where the problem really starts and ends. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that um, also I will say what I have heard on that front. Yeah, uh, I, there's been no final decision from the league in terms of whether they're going they're going to do league wide vaccinations. Mm-hmm. However, I know of one manager yeah. uh, who is requiring it for their players. Okay. Uh, I don't I don't want to name names, but you know it's there, Atlantic there, League it, though, right? There, yes, yes. Okay. There is an Atlantic League manager who is who was saying, listen, if you're going to play for my team, you're going to be vaccinated. And I understand it from his yeah. perspective. Listen, I want to win ba- as a manager. I want to win baseball games. I am paid to win baseball games. And the reality is, is I just don't want to deal with it. Like, I just don't, I just don't want to have to worry about it. You could loosen the protocols. Uh, if your entire team is vaccinated, it just makes everything easier and gets everything a lot every, and everything is much more baseball centric and it's a lot cheaper in the long run right it's yeah. not cheaper in the long run it's not like the, An- the atlantic league and the, its teams have endless pockets that you can test guys every day that's just not a reality yeah. so then uh, so you're not and, plugging in and plugging out guys because if one guy tests positive then i mean he's gone for two weeks and that's the, yeah. you can't have that you just can't so you got to minimize yeah, exactly. risk whenever you can 
So I think there's nothing stopping a manager from being like, listen, I sign you, you got to be vaccinated. And that's the end of that. And if you don't want, and if, and if that is an issue for you, there are plenty of people who don't mind getting vaccinated and they will, and and they will gladly take your spot. So it'll be interesting to see how, how many managers decide to do that or if if the leagues decide to do it as as a whole. Uh, I think that's remains to be seen. But I certainly see the reasons for it, uh, at least for um, now. I'm not talking about like vaccine passports. I know yeah. those are a controversial thing, but yeah. I mean, listen, the Atlantic League and his teams are private businesses. They can require you to do what they want. Exactly. And so uh, and so I think in that in that sense, it'll be interesting to see if if that's something they do decide to uh, require on a league level and a, and a team wide level. Yeah, exactly. I think we're still a ways off from that decision, though. I think that's going to be something that is going to get more fleshed out as we get uh, a little bit further along. And as we start to have vaccines, uh, I mean, already at least in the tri-state area, they're pretty easy to come across now, unless you're looking for one in particular. If you don't care which one you get, I mean, you you could walk into just about any CVS and get one now. Uh, yeah. But still, there's some areas where they're a bit hard to come across and, you know, rollouts are a bit different everywhere. So I imagine once we start getting into May and June, then we'll start to get a lot closer to a uniform policy one way or the other. Uh, but uh, Regardless of that, I think we kind of clear that up and I don't think we need to address it any further. So with that said, we can kind of go on to the build a team stage two. Uh, if you want to get caught up, go back to episode number 108 and listen to that segment about why we chose the teams we chose and some ideas we may have had to uh, to originally kind of get the teams going. If you're not caught up do that if you are caught up and you just want a little bit of a refresher or you're not going to go back and listen to our reasoning for picking the cities we did and you just want to be caught up to speed i'll give you a quick catch you up to speed and then we'll hit this topic real quick so uh, essentially this build a team series is inspired off of us saying what major league baseball should do to grow the game and us talking all this time about what various teams could do to possibly grow out and branch out to their fan base and bring in more fans and run their organization so we decided okay well we're each going to try and build a team from scratch and uh you know how we would run the team where we would base it out of um all sorts of you know elements like that and slowly go through each of the stages of building a team from you know uh, founding it to running it to putting talent on the field and see where it goes from there and uh, we our goal is to keep it as realistic as possible and at the end of stage three, which will be next week when we pick rosters and we pick coaching staffs and everything, hopefully be able to uh, kind of get a feel for which team, if they were to play head to head, which would be the, the better team. So that's generally the overview, the quick elevator pitch on uh, what this series is. Um, Will picked Ocean City, Maryland. I picked Atlantic City, New Jersey. Uh, Will, you started last week, so I'll let you start again this week as to uh, your stage two here, which is mostly about the kind of reaching out to fans, what the promotions would be like, uh, so the community sure. engagement type things, promotional events, and any sort of theme nights or quirky things, just general things like that. Essentially, anything we didn't cover already and that doesn't relate to on-the-field uh, play. Right. So I did not name my team last week, so I, I, did, I did want to uh, first... I wanted to uh, give my team name before anything else. Oh. Uh, so, cause I, I forgot that 
Mm. I did not come up with that. So I did nope. come up with a team name. All right. It's going to sound dumb at first, but once you hear the story, you'll understand. Okay. Uh, my team is going to be named the Ocean City Stars. The All reason right. they are, it is the Ocean City Stars will be named after one of the first organized uh, baseball teams in Ocean City, which is named, they were named the Plumington Stars, who mm. they played from 1902 to 1905. Now, the Plumington. That name comes from a hotel. Okay. So that is that is the how they um, that is how they organized um, baseball teams back in that day. They, it would be com- the team was composed of staff and some guests from the hotel, and their team was so good they established themselves as the best hotel team by far. And they eventually stopped playing against other hotel teams and would start playing against semi-pro teams. <laughs> specifically a team called the Berlin Indians. And there was a time in 1905 where the Berlin Indians came to Ocean City and in front of a big crowd, the uh, the Plymouthton Stars beat them, swept them in a doubleheader in front of a very big crowd. So that, 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 is cool really, that is really interesting with hotel teams and all that. That is really cool. Yes. Yes. So I wanted to, I could have gone with like a normal sea animal, but thought that was kind of boring Yeah. because there are a lot of dolphins in the area. I don't want to copy someone's name, yeah. even though there's technically the, the Dallas stars, but you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, that, that's what I went with. Uh, so as far as promotions and such, I think a big thing my team would focus on is promotions with local schools because at the end of the day, indie ball is is centered around families. It's uh, it's centered around kids. It's centered around kids having fun, and it's supposed to center around a family a family night out. So I think you gotta have these ticket voucher giveaways for kids at schools to try and while okay that yes they're the the kids are getting in free one time. However, you're hoping that. They're coming back a second time and a third time and a fourth time and a fifth time. They're having a birthday party there uh, and and all the rest. So that I think is a central part of my marketing plan uh, for, for the ocean city stars. Now, as far as couple promotions, um, I think bobbleheads are essential because knowing at least how big of it? Because I am friends with some people who are big into collecting bobbleheads. Yeah, it really draws people from yeah. from even out of town, in town. Those nights, I know, and I know bobbleheads aren't really cheap to make, which is why I'm only thinking of like two or three, uh, two or three bobblehead nights a year. Okay, uh, the bobblehead giveaways. People come from all over for those, uh, regardless of the level of baseball. So I think in that sense. I think bobbleheads are a must. I think having multiple bobblehead nights a year are a must. I think at least in year one, you start with the mascot. Uh, you potentially start with the manager. Uh, and in, in the long term, of course, because in the Atlantic League, uh, there's going to be some players that are there for a few years that fans tend to like. Make a bobblehead of that guy. Of course, that player does not exist yet, and we'll, we'll get into on-field personnel in a little bit um, in future episodes. So bobbleheads are uh, are a must for me as far as promotions. Another promotion, autograph sessions with with uh, with former major leaguers. I think that is another thing that really does a good job drawing to minor leagues. For example, you could think back to the Somerset Patriots yeah. uh, when they brought in the um, they brought in the 1969 Nets. 
yeah. they brought in a lot of members of that. Uh, I believe four different members of that team. They completely sold out the ballpark that day. So, um, not to say I, I think you really tap it. You try to tap into that Baltimore Oriole market. Okay. Um, and those former Orioles that potentially still live in the area. Not to say you're going to get Cal Ripken Jr. or something like yeah. that, because you probably won't. Uh, but you could get you could get a guy that was a really good player for the Orioles for a, p- a period of time that people will come to try and get autographs, meet and greet. You could sell VIP suites and, and the whole nine yards. So I think that is one. As far as in-game promotions, I'm thinking at least in in after an inning, I'm thinking a sea animal race, right? Okay. Uh, you pit and during that sea animal race, you have. You have like a dolphin, you have a blow up dolphin, you have a blow up crab, uh, you have like a, a, you could even do a blow up shark. I mean, those are fun too. Uh, and yeah. you pick three sections at random and the winner, the winner, whoever wins the race, that section all gets coupons for free food from local restaurants. But I also put in parentheses, and this is important, or Wawa. That's always accepted. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Um, I want to just derail this for one second. It's funny. One of my things to add that I wrote down was the Wawa burger and shake thing. And uh, I, I, that it's outstanding? No, no, very much not that. And uh, wow. yeah, I just want to point out I have that in there. And I love that Wawa is getting mentioned. I, I have to interrupt to just mention that because everyone from New Jersey knows that Wawa is an essential service. Oh no, I I think I, I don't I'm I'm not sure of that whole like burger shake thing. Yeah. However, I do know Wawa's terrific. It is. So uh so if you wanted to uh in, in of course local restaurants and Wawa, Wawa mm-hmm. is of course uh always accepted. And so also you you think of the classic t shirt toss, uh carnival games and the outfield that I kind of touched on last week, and also the Ocean City Stars app with reward points and prizes to collect memorabilia and other amenities that uh, were it like gives you like a free like drink, free burger, uh, different things at the ballpark that you're really encouraging people to come back. You're, uh, you're rewarding people who show your, their loyalty and keep, keep coming back to the ballpark, whether it's season ticket holders, whether that's people who, who just like coming once a week, you know, um, yeah. you're, you're rewarding those people with reward points. I think the Patriots did an excellent job with that. I thought it was such a good idea. And that's, I would certainly bring that to the ocean city stars. And my last thing, flexible mini plans and, uh, we talked about before the show about yeah. flexible mini plans and one that I did not think was operated well. So I'm just going to do the exact opposite of what they do. So uh, my flexible mini plans are essentially I would have mini plans that because I always find at least when I'm looking at mini plans, there's never one that's just right. It's like, oh, you could get a 10 game mini plan. Yeah, but I don't really want to go out to 10 games if I have to drive like an hour or something, yeah. you know? And so I think. I think you're looking at five game plans. You're looking at 10 game plans, 15 game plans, 25 game plans. You have all these different plans. Uh, and I think these, and the important thing here is none of those games are, you're, you're not actively assigned games, right? They're vouchers. They're flexible because what I, you're trying to tap into at least uh, with the local market is, Hey, you don't have anything to do tonight, come to the ballpark. And if you, if you're a mini plan holder, listen, you can, you you could just walk to the box office, 
cash in one of your um, one of the tickets for the mini plan, and you can get into the ballpark that night. And you one of one of your boxes gets checked off out of let's say if you have a ten game mini plan. So I think that I think that is all, definitely a good way uh, to sell like these undated vouchers as part of mini plans that people can buy. I think that's a good idea. That pretty mu- that pretty much wraps up my promotions and marketing aspect of things. I, I did a solid job, but yeah, uh, no, of course it, I'll let you be the judge of that. Yeah, no, it, it's definitely solid. I do have one question about the flexible mini plans here, which yeah. is to say, obviously, if you sell however many, you have to leave at least that many tickets in reserve. Should somebody, you know, decide, oh, oh I want to use that flex plan date today. Now, would yes. you say like, okay, you have to be you have to notify the team you plan on using this like say 48 hours in advance or 24 hours in advance so that way they could free up that ticket would there be exclusion for say a giveaway day or like let's say you well, have like a, a baltimore Oriole reunion uh like with something like that because i imagine those tickets would be in a lot more demand and if you have people saying oh we sure. want to buy them but you have to put like let's say a thousand of these flexbook dates aside just in case someone uses it then you're almost guaranteeing that there's going to be some that go to waste yeah i I think in that i think first of all subject to availability is a big word okay you can use uh so uh, but i do think that at least on the big nights where you're expecting a sellout i think you could specify that with specific promotions that needs to be uh, you need to notify in advance for these six dates because I mean promotion schedules come out before the year. Yeah. So uh, in uh, dates A, B, C, D, E, F, you gotta you, the, that would need to be like forty eight hours in advance. But in general, uh, it's indie ball. I I hope I, the attendance is good, but I'm not expecting sellouts every night, so I, I don't anticipate that on being uh, a big issue. All right. And then as far as like media goes, like streaming and uh, like oh. radio or something like that, is there any plan for that? Or is it just kind of a, you know, we'll just throw it on YouTube. And if we can find a radio deal, we'll find radio deal. If not, we'll just do internet radio, like through radio.com or something like that. Yeah, I, I think finding a local radio station is definitely key, especially. Uh, I mean, I, I really, I really do think that local radio stations would jump at the offer of broadcasting live sports uh yeah. just because whatever crappy talk show that they're they, they do at nights i don't know uh but i mean because seriously like for somerset like wctc 1450 i don't know what they do outside of the, the patriots yeah uh, but i can guarantee you they probably get more listeners for the patriots than than anything else but I think, yeah, I think without barring like an Atlantic, like at that point in time that all oh, the Atlantic League has like a, a deal with with this company or that company, I think the easiest thing to do is throw it is um, is throw it on YouTube. I wouldn't actively seek out like a a, a, a streaming service like say like New Britain did. Yeah. Uh, when they're very odd, this is a free low quality stream, but if you want a high quality stream, you have to pay. That was kind of weird. Yeah. So. Don't do that. But I think in general, throwing it up on YouTube, barring any Atlantic League agreement to a Atlantic League.tv or whatever, you know, I, I think that's probably the direction I would go in. Yeah, I, I got to say the the one thing I would also recommend for you is you have to have an official like hotel partner because it's if it's based off a hotel team like this, just it writes itself. That's true. So I, I yeah. that's, that's the one thing I would recommend because I think that could do really, really well to be like, look, the the team that's has its roots in hotels 
is based off of, or is sponsored by Hilton or by Days Inn or whatever it may be. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with that, I think. So that, that just about ends my uh, my line of questioning here. So I'll, uh, I guess I'll kick off uh, my thing here, which is I have my second stage kind of in in different groups of what I do for each thing. The first group is a community engagement. And that starts with, again, targeting, you know, kids and more importantly, families in general. And that can be for Atlantic City proper and the greater Atlantic County region. I kind of want to build this team as, you know, Atlantic City's own or Atlantic County's own. It has pride in where it's from. It recognizes the history of the city as well as the tomorrow they're striving for. But uh, it starts for me by targeting those those younger fans through like a reading club program. I mentioned this a couple of weeks back when we first were discussing this. I would like to, you know, either have it so, okay, if you, you partner with like the local libraries or local schools or whatever, and you go, all right, if the kid signs up to be part of the reading club or part, maybe it's part of the kids club in general, the reading aspect's part of it. And they read like, say, five books in a month of like varying lengths. You could get into the specifics, but does it really matter? Not particularly. You could say like, if you're in grades K through four, if you read books that are like, this many pages to whatever whatever it may be it really doesn't matter the point is to get the kids engaged and recognize the brand if they read so much they get like either stickers or like temporary tattoos with the team logo or they could work up to getting tickets for a game like say two or three tickets for that uh, i also then want to switch and say while we want to target and we want to market for the people that live here and live in the surrounding area, because those are going to be your base of your, your flex plan buyers, they're going to be your mini plan buyers, your season ticket buyers, and your repeat business that you can kind of, you know, your backbone. You also have to acknowledge Atlantic City is a giant tourist hub. It's one of the largest, if not the largest tourist hub in the upper eastern coast. It's like the mid-Atlantic hub. And a reason why a lot of people come there is unsurprisingly for the betting and the casinos. And you got to make a partnership with at least one casino to either get tickets in hands as just handed out as a free thing to do, or just to get your name associated with a casino. Like it or not, they're a big industry in town. And so you need somebody to help you with that. Also partnering with the casino in some fashion also helps get your foot in the door for other sponsorships or other brand partnerships or whatever you really want to call exchanging advertising for money. Uh, that just helps out a lot. And I think they could also help raise brand awareness among tourists because tourists don't always live and die at the same exact things. If you can get them out to the ballpark, that certainly helps a lot too. I will say I had a really interesting idea come through my DMs a week or two back and it was turn one of the suites into a casino room in the ballpark. Ooh. And I like that idea a lot. <laughs> I'm not sure how feasible it'd be and what the regulations around it would be because you're definitely dealing with the gaming commission at that point. And I'm I'm not sure how it would all go, but I'm sure there's a way you could make it gambling in name in everything but name, essentially. Whereas like, look, we're not gambling with money, we're gambling with uh with AC bucks or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> so so uh, figuring something out like that would be pretty cool. I definitely also want to have representation on the boardwalk that gets a lot of traffic among tourists, among locals, and among just about everyone on that AC boardwalk. You need to be on there. 
I'd like to get some space on there so I could always have people there advertising on some level. If not, buying ad space on there is going to be a great way to reach out to a lot of people and again, get brand familiarity. That's something that's critically important in that first like 36 month window is getting people to associate this logo, this name with this product and to make sure that the product is high quality to make sure that the game day experience, which is something I'm going to talk about a little bit later on, uh, is up to the up to the nines, really. So that way people say that was fun, that was enjoyable and it didn't hurt the wallet all that bad. So we're going to keep doing it. We're going to keep coming back for it. Uh, likewise, another way of reaching out to, you know, uh, more of a younger audience would be to have used and new equipment drives. That's, you know, trying to get this equipment to get people engaged into the, into the game of baseball and get them working and actually get them to learn the game. Because part of one of the things Rick White says when they look for a community, look for like a healthy community and people that are engaged in the sport because if they already are familiar with the sport, they're likely to go out and watch professionals play it. And so by getting that equipment into the hands of people that may otherwise not be interested in baseball or not be able to afford to play baseball, that is definitely something that's gonna say, well, they gave me my start I definitely want to support them or they're doing good in the community. I want to support them so they can continue to do that. And I think an equipment drive is a great way of uh, being able to impact the community in a positive way. Moving on to more of that game day experience. uh, One of the things that's, again, playing into that, we're right on the beach or right on the shore um, kind of thing is a sandcastle contest. And I think that'd be a really kind of fun in between innings thing. You bring out some sand and, you know, some water and some buckets and you see who can put together the best sandcastle. And then, you know, you give the winner, you know, a, a coupon to something or you give them a, a voucher for something or tickets or whatever it may be. You toss them something for winning it. I'd like kind of a, a sanitized version of a blackjack or a roulette in between innings too. That could be kind of a, a fun way of, uh, getting people involved. So some sort of a contest like that, where again, you're just winning kind of stuff in the ballpark from the team or or from a sponsor. So it's not really gambling. It's more a game of chance. Um, Obviously I want a a fan of the game at some point, maybe third or fourth inning when you start to get people in the ballpark and maybe some people are getting up and walking around a little bit, but by and large people are still kind of in their seats in between innings where you bring a fan out, whether that may be a, a more famous person like a famous local or a famous person from the area and you want to promote them or if it's just someone that's you know been a season ticket holder obviously that would be better on once the years have gone into this team and uh, things like that so that's certainly uh, one of the in-between things maybe a name the song in between uh innings there maybe a quiz of ac so maybe like local uh kind of uh landmarks or something like what was this particular building called before it was renamed or something like that I think could definitely engage people and then of course you have to have some sort of eating contest in between innings whether that be like a wings thing or maybe you really play into uh, the New Jersey bit and you go with like some sort of a, a Taylor Ham related eating contest or maybe you have a local restaurant sponsor something and they got to gorge on that or whatever it may be but that's definitely an element of it and of course for your fourth of july game it's going to be hot dogs they're going to be gouging on so i mean that may just be a whole main event in and of itself 
Uh, some other uses for the stadium too, because I understand that in this scenario, at least I'd want to still be able to run the stadium a bit. I don't recall if I said I wanted to put in a turf field or leave it with the grass that's there. I almost certainly believe I would have said I want to put in turf. So under that assumption, a lot of this is a lot more doable than with grass, but with grass, it's still more doable, but it would have to be done either when there's two weeks in between games being played at the stadium or in off season. So high school sports or something that's big. I want a lot of high schools here. I want colleges playing here. I want just about every major like diamond sport, the county tournament, all of that. I want the roads ending at the sandcastle. I want that to be, you know, you play to battle on the boardwalk. That's what you go for. That's where the road ends. That's your goal. That's where your state championship is held. I want that there because then you're building up this kind of aura around it, even if not directly related with the team. If it's related to the building the team plays in, it's kind of through osmosis goes to the team in some way, shape or form. Likewise, youth clinics are another thing. I want to be very big into, you know, having these younger, like, you know, maybe six, seven, eight, nine, up to like even high school age players that are getting lessons from the professionals that are playing in Atlantic City. We, we're going to have a good staff. We're going to have major league talent, as we'll talk about next week, on this team, running this team. We need to use that in the community and there's nothing really that's much cooler for, say, a nine-year-old baseball player than be, to be able to say that ex-major leaguer taught me how to throw a curveball or taught me how to throw a changeup or gave me base running tips or taught me how to track a ball or something like that. To be able to have that connection there is something that's huge. And again, it relates back to the team and being active in the community. Likewise, uh, food festivals, music festivals, and concerts are things that are also very big. It's something that's extremely doable. And again, you can make use of the space on this field, on the diamond. And if it's turf, you can absolutely abuse this thing by putting food trucks and whatnot on there. It's not a big deal. And lastly, religious services are something that's seems fairly easy to do it's a ballpark we saw somerset do uh something similar there themselves so you could absolutely do that in atlantic city as well uh as far as <clears throat> theme nights go because i have theme nights weekly promotions and giveaways and all sorts of other other stuff here so i'm going to try and get through it fairly quick because i really thought this out uh theme nights things like roaring 20s atlantic city in the 20s was known as america's playground i want to have a theme night at least once a year that revives that that history that culture the game monopoly is based off of atlantic city it's a no-brainer to have a monopoly themed night again uh maybe play off of some local uh Local culture, uh, New Jerseyans will know Lucy the Elephant in a neighboring city. You know, the big elephant, uh, I get technically you can live inside of it, although I don't think anyone's ever really attempted that. But that's a kind of a local thing. Maybe you could name your team the Elephants or the Lucys for a night and base something off of that whole thing. Obviously, a fan appreciation day and Atlantic City Day. And one that I thought if you could get the rights to do this would be really fun because there's a lot of like in between inning work that you could do and some really creative ideas that could be done. The a Price is Right night. I think that could be really fun where you have like in betweenings, you play like Blinko or Mountain Climber, or all various games and the price is right. It just seems like something that goes hand in hand. I think could really drum up some business, maybe even like a Jeopardy night too. Something like that could be fun. As far as weekly promotions go, one night's a buy one, get one night. 
One's a discount for seniors. One's a discount on either concessions or souvenirs. Cheap beer is a mainstay on a Thursday night. We're going to continue to do that. Keep cheap beer and keep cheap uh, domestic or import beer. That's essentially what I'm getting to. Friday night fireworks. Uh, Sunday day games, uh, similar to what you said, I want there to be autograph sessions. I want there to be kids running the bases. That Those are kind of pretty basic ones uh, that are must-haves. And as far as one day a week, I want there to be a mystery promotion where whether one item's marked down that you didn't realize was going to be marked down, tickets are marked down, something that you didn't expect but you know is going to be fun and interesting, that's a mystery day. Uh, you could apply any of these to any day of the week. In particular, the only two I mandate have to be on certain days. Cheap beer's got to be Thursday because Thursday, Thursday, and the day game's got to be Sunday because it just Sunday's like kind of in a lot of people's minds a family day. And so day games, running the bases, autographs, those are really based off a of family thing. So that's got to be on Sunday. Uh, some giveaway ideas I had. Uh, bobbleheads, like you said. Uh, card decks, like playing cards. Again, Atlantic City. Play a little bit on that uh, gambling aspect. We have casino partnerships. It goes. It's kind of obvious. Uh, beach towel. Again, we're right on the beach. Maybe kind of like a jersey shirt replica. That could be a good idea. Beach ball. Uh, maybe like pens, pencils, notebooks, things that got the team brand on it. Again, you can get local partners to sponsor these things and uh, school supplies type things at the end of August, beginning of September. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, also, baseball card giveaways. That's something that'd be very cool to do. Uh, and then like a calendar or a schedule giveaway or a calendar that has the team games listed on it. That could be your opening day giveaway. That'd be a good idea. As far as media goes, a local radio channel is definitely a must have. I'd like to be on FM because if you're on FM, odds are you're going to have an AM station as well. Even if it's not simulcast, you'll have options there. And again, availability is key. If we could find a way to be on actual real TV too, I think that would be pretty cool too. Although that's kind of a lower priority for me. And then streaming is something that's extremely important to me because I understand that's how a lot of people are going to be viewing these games. So it needs to be high quality. If the Atlantic League's not going to put together a platform for streaming, that's fine. Then we're going to either use YouTube or we're going to use Twitch. We're going to use something that's going to be high caliber, high quality. And uh, I may want to eventually move on to a platform that is solely like I'm going to just run with calling the team the sequels for now. But we're going to hammer out a name for next week. It's maybe Seagulls TV or whatever it may be later on. But for right now, YouTube or Twitch will do. It's going to be high quality, though, with quality graphics, quality camera work, interviews with people during the game. Like, I want it to feel like a major league broadcast because that's important. That's something that just screams quality. Even if you don't think it does, it is something that I believe is firmly worth investing. Uh, as long as it translates to dollars at the end of the day, it, it's a fine investment for me. As far as other promotional or just other things in general that I couldn't fit into a category but I thought were important, uh, discounts in the papers, so maybe coupons and papers or in like those value packs you get, like the, the Clipper magazine type thing, uh, like that is something I want to get in there. Maybe have a reward system where if you go to X number of games, you get tickets to a free game. Some sort of virtual collectible item would also be pretty cool too. That would be through an app, which of course an app is, you know, a must have there where 
when you arrive at the ballpark in June, you get a cool collectible or like for per game, you get a different kind of collectible, maybe of a mascot, maybe of a player, maybe of uh, a thing in the stadium, maybe of an event, something that's a unique thing for you to have, I think is important and it's location based. So you can only like get credit for it when you're physically in the ballpark. And that's something that's key there. Likewise, uh, a kids club is definitely something I'd want to have that would kind of go hand in hand with the reading program, have other things that can engage the kids that wind up uh, giving them stuff, maybe like um, a coloring book, maybe like an information guide, maybe a hat, maybe a cup or tattoos or you know stickers just general kids things that'd be fun to be part of the club to get them in the ballpark and encourage them to come out to the ballpark learn the game and really integrate with the team and then the last thing that is probably the one i i really do kind of like because it's just kind of a fun little thing uh a season-long collectible thing so for me i thought maybe you can make it like a poker chip that you know each month has a different thing. And if you're part of like the team fan club, or maybe you kind of make a, a low key thing where you only kind of, it's only known to regulars at the ballpark, where if you go up to like the fan services desk and you ask for like the, the giveaway of the week, or maybe you use like a password or a code word and that's flashed up on, uh, on the screen out in center field because one of the things I would like to do is replace the the screen that's out there. This would obviously be after all the essential repairs are done. I'd like to put a nice Dectronic board out there that could be similar to the one they have are putting in in Sioux Falls. That's something that kind of fell by the wayside this week because we had so much to talk about Sioux Falls is putting in a new Dectronic board. It looks really cool. Check the Twitter feed at Pod to uh, to see what that looks like, but put something like that in there and maybe you flash up a, a password or a code word and go to fan services, ask for that, you get the giveaway. I think it's fairly cheap to do. It plays a little bit on the gambling of the city and just that in general. And I am out of breath, out of ideas. I'll take your questions now. Wow. That was, uh, that was an awesome plan. Yeah. Uh, they need to hire you. People need to hire you as a GM, dude. Was, you know, what's, what's funny is I put that all together when I was putting the notes together today, and that took about 40 minutes to do. Wow. Yeah. That was, uh, I tell you, I mean, my favorite parts, and as a guy who loves to eat, yeah, I think the eating contest is outstanding. Yep. Uh, I think the, uh, I, I, I think the, if, if you could make it work, yeah. the, um, the casino in one of the suites mm. is so much fun. I, I don't, I don't know the legalities behind that. Yeah. I, I'm sure that'd be something you'd have to figure out, but that would be so much fun for pe- for people to go to. And of course, just like the, the, the high school, the high school thing at the end, you want everybody to, uh, you want everybody to try to play to, to get to Atlantic city in the end. I think, I mean, to be honest, with you, there's not really there's not really anything I, I disagree with or, no. or 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 would change. I mean, that I mean, it sounds it, as long as you know you could build a franchise like that and you could you know, get the ballpark fixed first of all. Of course, I mean, yeah. I think that would be that that would be awesome and 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 a, and a ton of fun. Yeah. And so, like, did I leave anything perhaps unanswered or? have some sort of glaring hole here because you know i i don't see anything but maybe like an outside perspective would would tell me that you know it's because a lot of the questions that are in my head are like on-field personnel yeah because 
Yeah. But I feel like that'd be pushed to next week. Yeah, no, the on-field stuff is next week, but... Uh, yeah, but no, it, it's that, it, it really does sound like like awesome stuff. I mean, I, not cheap. You. A lot of the things were a lot of the things were not cheap, of yeah. course. Yeah, obviously you'd naturally. Have to, you'd, have, you'd have to have an owner with some with some with some pretty deep pockets uh, yeah. to make that work. But you know, I think um, I think it's I think if you have an owner with some deep pockets, you can make that work. The price would just be a little the one thing I'd be a little bit concerned about. But I think the ideas are great. There's no doubt about that. All right. Well, thank you for that. Like, the price is a very legitimate concern. Uh, hopefully, you know, no, there's going to be an investment cost in the beginning where it's going to be, you know, hefty. But hopefully, if you put in the legwork in those first three years, then it will start to pay off and pay dividends. And that's really what you're banking on with a plan like this. So uh, I'm glad I, I didn't leave too many stones unturned. Yeah, no. for sure. So, uh, with that said, uh, you can look forward to part three of the series next week, where we, I believe is pretty much the last thing we have to do in the series, which is on-field personnel, because we're both in the Atlantic League. Uh, there is no real roster restrictions outside of the overall salary cap. So as long as we just don't get too crazy with it, um, we should be all square to go there. So we'll name, uh, I'd say, what, manager, two other coaches, so like a hitting and a pitching coach, and then the 23-man roster. Yep, that, that sounds. I cannot wait to put that together. As far as roster goes, because I do want to, like, we do want to keep this realistic. Are we gonna yeah. like just put? I know there's obviously not a cap in uh, the Atlantic League, because I mean, if you could, you would fill your whole roster with former major leaguers. But I think we should kind of keep it realistic and cap it at what number of guys with major league experience. Hmm. Would you say five's good? I'd say, I was thinking five. Okay. Five yes. or six. All right. So we'll keep it at five. And then I'd say as long as no name is like really far out there, I think uh, everything else is pretty good. So as long as we keep it to five with major league experience. Yeah. Right. I agree. I think that's a good, it sounds, it sounds like a good plan. All right. Then so you can look forward to that next week and any other stories that may come across, we'll do the plugs, add anything we have left to add and then get out of here. Um, if you want to follow the show on social media, you can do so on Twitter at IndieBallPod. I retweeted that thing about Sioux Falls and a lot of these stories throughout the past few weeks, so you definitely can dig through the Twitter feed and find that and find any other news that pops up throughout the week. So I definitely recommend giving that a follow if you're on Twitter. If you're on Instagram, uh, you can follow the show at IndieBallPod for just miscellaneous IndieBall things. If you're at Atlantic League fanatic, you got to follow at ALPV underscore news if you're not already doing that. Uh, top of the line Atlantic League coverage probably the best you're going to find I don't think there's anyone that's really uh, better than that so you can definitely that yep yep so uh, definitely follow those two accounts if you're on Instagram if you're not on any of that but you want to keep up to date with uh, just general independent league news you can follow the podcast wherever you find podcasts uh, tune in Stitcher Podomatic Spotify Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts like I said just about anywhere you find podcasts we're available there if you want to find the links to anything we discussed this week or any other episode because we referenced a couple other ones our interview with Carson Lee our interview with Mickey Walker uh, you can find all that on the website IndieBallReport.com uh, show notes are under the show notes tab and just go to the episode you want to see episodes are under the episodes tab so you could just go there and find the episodes you want to see uh, there so with that said and two and a half hours in before editing 
Do we have anything else left to add? And I believe we do because we teased this at the very beginning. And do you, for, do you want to do it this week or do you want to or do you want to save it? Normally I would say save it, but I think at this point, if you're in for the long haul and two and a half episodes in, and we said in the beginning that my choice of words was going to be a teaser and foreshadow something at the end, I think it'd be a real kick in the balls to not mention it this week and make them wait an extra week. I'll keep it short. Chick-fil-A is incredible. The food is like life-changing stuff. Like seriously, like you cannot... Just like the side, not even like the chicken is good. Like the chicken sandwiches, the, the nuggets. I mean, th- those are good. I, I think that, I mean, it's nothing crazy, but I think the sides, I mean, you're talking the waffle fries. Uh, you're talking about like the sweet tea. You're talking about the mac and cheese. I mean, there are, the possibilities are endless with Chick-fil-A. And the fact that you don't like Chick-fil-A, the, you don't like Chick-fil-A's food, to me is just mind boggling. It is, it is so awesome. And when I am, I mean, I, I'm at school now, but when I am, when I am home, I am probably at Chick-fil-A a good three, three, four times a week. It's that good. To steal from former co-host James and to steal from Stephen A. Smith, what you just said was blasphemous. I don't understand how anybody really enjoys Chick-fil-A. I've had it several times. And the only thing I can think of is it's so goddamn bland. There isn't flavor. Like I've tried this several times. I've tried different things. It's just not that good. It's not good chicken. Every time, it's just not that good. There's no flavor. That's my main grape here. There's just no flavor. The waffle fries, I could, the only thing I could taste was salt. There's nothing there. What? That's all there is. I don't know what fries you're having. Uh, Look, I've had it in different states. I've had it in South Carolina. I've had the one that opened on uh, Route 10 in New Jersey. And I think that's Morris Plains. I've tried this food. It isn't that good. It really, I I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Everyone's like, it's Chick-fil-A. It's great. It's great. It's great. It's not good. It's just not good. Like, I just don't understand it. Like, the chicken is, like, average at best. Like, it's not that great. Like, I, I, everyone's like, it's amazing. I, I just don't see it. I just really don't see what's so great about Chick-fil-A. I really don't get it. Like, I, it feels like I'm often on a totally different land. Like, if you want, like, a good place that's for, primary thing is chicken, that's a fast food place, Zaxby's kicks it out of the water. It's just, like, Zaxby's food actually has flavor. Like the seasoning, they I would like to try it. There's just none by me. Yeah, no, the closest one's in Virginia because I've charted this out oh. before. And I had it when I was in South Carolina, and I look forward to having it again. Or when we're triumphing and whatnot again. But it's it's like for fast food, it's genuinely good. Like the chicken has flavor, the fries have some sort of seasoning on it that gives it a little bit of a kick, and it's really good. And it's just like I compare that. To like Chick Fil A, I compare Chick Fil A to even like Wendy's or Burger King, and I'm like, oh, I just, I just don't, I don't see what the appeal of Chick Fil A is. And there's always a goddamn line. Like, I've there seen is. the line just like 50 cars deep, too wide. It's like what? And then the lines through the door. And it's like, I'm, I'm like, how are you standing in that kind of a line for fast food chicken? It's not even good. Like, oh my I, god. 
I will proudly say when the, when the Chick Fil A in South Plainfield, New Jersey, opened. Yeah. I because originally the only Chick Fil A I could go to is, is in uh, the local mall. Okay. Near near my and I hate going to malls. That'll be a do thing for another day. I hate going to malls. Yeah. Uh. And so when this opened, the line, it probably took about 45 minutes to get my food and I would not have it any other way. It was awesome. I just, I don't get it. I really don't get it. I, I really, like I don't, like I'd rather go to Wawa. I really would rather go to Wawa before I go Wawa's to. Wawa's really good. Yeah. Like Wawa is again, like I, I, Wawa's the kind of thing where if you're not from New Jersey, you're not going to totally get it. But there's a, it, it is the definition. It's a Jersey thing. Like I went to Wawa earlier to get a shake, and it was a very good shake. I gotta say, I was surprised. But yeah. regardless, but to Chick Fil A and to summarize this point here, because I don't mean to belabor it, but I I really don't see it. Like I really don't. It's mind. I don't see what you're saying. I mean, the chicken, and even if you don't, if you don't like the sandwich because it didn't have flavor. All right, fine. I'm not even but the like, nugget. The, but the, the nuggets? nuggets are the ones I'm talking about. They don't have flavor. <laughs> they were soggy as hell, and they had no you were flavor. On drugs. You were on drugs. If I was, then I would probably be eating Chick Fil A because I wouldn't have any sense. <laughs> Dude, you are missing out. I, I disagree. Oh. If you're listening at this point. And you either love my Chick Fil A take, hate Nick, hate Nick's Chick Fil A take. Please let us know, and it also lets me know that you're yeah. still listening at the two two and a half hour mark, which is yeah. very impressive. Exactly. Like if you get to this point, type your Chick Fil A opinion into whatever social media you use and tag us in it, because a I'd be impressed with your dedication to stick this far along into the show. And you will get an, you will get an immediate repost from me, a retweet, repost, whatever platform you choose to use. I promise you. Yeah, absolutely. Like you're gonna get some sort of commendation here because, and if you did it in one sitting, like straight through without taking any breaks, without filleting this, man, I, I really, <laughs> you really get bonus points. Yeah, that you know what? If you if you did well, I don't know because then people could lie. Yeah. I mean, you stand to gain absolutely. Let us know, regardless. Yeah, let us know because, like, like you stand to gain absolutely nothing by lying about this. But I, I really do. It is impressive. So, I think at yeah, this point, no. I think at this point, everyone's probably done with hearing us talk. I think we gave them a, a solid show this week, though. A very good show. All right. So, with that said, I can't possibly imagine we have anything else left to add. I don't think we do. And with that said. Nothing to add. You know the drill. Until next time, don't forget to play ball. That one was a strong one. That was excellent. That was really strong. I'm proud of that one. <laughs>